Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Gross Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 5 of the Chronicles of Clan Mason. As always, I do hope you've been enjoying this retelling of the tale that I wrote as the interim between Hybrid Wars and The Enemy of My Enemy and Hunter Hunted. It's kind of like an interim little story piece that, you know, tells the individual stories of how certain legends of the clan came to be and how their lives panned out. Kind of in the background, sort of, aside from the Hybrid Wars, which is kind of what it leads into. And as always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, leave me feedback wherever you can, I always appreciate it, either at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. It's always welcome. And if you do go to ghostnobody.com, check out Stormrider while you're there. You know, if Big Surly Dragoness is, Orcs and Elves and Little Human Mages are your thing, check it out, you might enjoy it. And while you're also there, pop over to the Ghostly Links section and pick yourself up a copy of Mortis, my original novel. And uh, help support me, keep me doing what I love, bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, now, with this one, there is a trigger warning that I have to do beforehand. This one does contain some dark themes, including sexual violence, rape, etc. So, if that is not your thing, I do suggest that you skip this one over. This one does carry a warning. It is one of the more... um, prolific chapters of what I've written. So, if you are still here, consider yourself fair warned. And also, this one is also a very long chapter. So, um, hence why it's being released so late, because it took literally this long to record. So, without further ado, I do hope you enjoy. Let's get on with the show. Now, but first, usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. That's all the thing of the respective um, studios. I'll just keep that interest. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 5. The Old Guard I must say, laddie, you and the not-so-wee lassie there have really outdone yourselves. This place is beautiful, Monty said, toiling his long moustache as he surveyed the grounds around the house. I thank you, Monty. Glad you approve. But just you wait and see. It's going to be even more so when we have big plans for this place to get it going. It's going to be a place of hope, freedom for this universe. And this clan we're building, it'll be a symbol of it as well. What with Pyre and the other gods have said, we can't afford to sit around with our collective arse hanging out waiting for it to get spanked again, Jack said. Monty lifted one of his bushy eyebrows as he regarded the regal young dream warrior and grand patriarch of Clan Mason. He really didn't pretend to know much about this whole clan business. But honestly, he was just glad to be free of that nightmare that he'd all been living in for so long. Though he had to admit, he'd never imagined he'd now be living side by side with the very species responsible for holding him and the others captive for so long. Though to be fair, these Ejuta seemed to be nothing like those Ejuta. It was like the difference between chalk and cheese. In some forms they may at a distance look the same, but they most definitely were not. He was also utterly blown away by this whole dream warrior build business. Someone had come up to tell him about it before. Even while he'd been interred on that world, he'd have simply laughed at them and gently escorted them to the Costa del Rubber and given them their finest complimentary backwards jacket. But having seen it with his own eyes, it had truly blown his mind. The things they could do were simply incredible. The way they moved, the way they thought, the power and grace that they possessed. It was like nothing he'd ever seen before. 
We'd spent an awful long time fighting other people's wars, to be sure. But this was something else totally entirely. As the pair stood watching, he watched one of those, what were they called again? Xenomorphs. Yes, that was it. Xenomorph queens. Who looked like a walking tank with a face heading off towards the huge forest with a little Japanese fellow with Yoshi in tow. Though he couldn't quite decide if she followed him or he followed her. But what he did know was he receiving that kiss of theirs to understand their language had been an eye-opening experience to be sure. But already everyone seemed to be working well together, like a well-oiled machine. Humans were scurrying all over the places, cutting and shaping the wood and materials that were being provided by Citrus and those other queens for them to begin construction of their township. In fact, he'd already set down stakes for his own home, not far from here. He already had a neighbour who'd picked out a plot right next to his, a truly massive Yejuta female by the name of Yelen. Though he really hadn't had much of a chance to talk to her other than to say hello in passing. If he was honest, she scared the living Christ out of him. Tick Ellith, Jack's wife, was a fearsome chunk of a woman, given that she stood nearly seven feet tall and was built like a brick shithouse on steroids. But she wasn't a patch on some of these girls. Yelen, for instance, was nine foot tall and built like an even bigger tank than Tick was. She was got to have been close to 500 pounds of solid muscle. Her skin reminded him of urban camo patterns that Earth militaries had began using before he'd been kidnapped and taken to the hunting preserve world. She was black, with patches of white and grey swirling through her body, plus a plethora of scars she had made she had made no attempt to disguise or hide, put her as a seasoned warrior and combat veteran, points made abundantly clear by the fact that she wore an eye patch over her right eye and had a metal replacement mandible on her top right mandible, which stood out from her face because it was silver. Kind of made her look like a Yejuta pirate, he thought, minus the hat and part, of course. Sounds like you have a plan in mind, laddie, Monty asked curiously, looking at Jack now as he looked over the group between them, working tirelessly to build a life for themselves, and Jack nodded thoughtfully. Something like that. Maybe a little more than a than a pipe dream at this stage. First thing we need to do is make sure we have homes and food for all these people. But after that, we need to put the work at word out. Bulk up our numbers. Because if we're going to meet what's coming, we're going to need an army. An army the likes of which this galaxy has never seen before, Jack said proudly. Monty twirled his moustache thoughtfully between his fingers, twisting it tightly. Gonna need a lot more than that, laddie, and a lot more than you've got here too. If we don't open the door, but if we open the doors, don't we risk ourselves making ourselves vulnerable? Monty asked, and Jack nodded. Very true indeed. So we'll need to think up a system so we can vet those wishing to join before they learn of our location. Maybe a dead letter system of some kind, that only those truly wishing to join us would be both willing and capable to follow. But, for now, all that can be put on the back burner. For now, let's just focus on making ourselves a home here, Jack said, and Monty nodded in agreement. There was a real brutal efficiency to the way the three species worked together. The queens following Citrus' lead, they collected wood from the huge trees and shuttled it back to the settlement where Yejuta workers and humans 
worked tirelessly to turn these raw materials into building materials, while Jack and a chosen a few who had an aptitude for metalworking tended to the huge forge he had at the back of his house, working in shifts to both mine the ore needed and smelt it and shape it into metal fittings and tools. Other groups of Yuzhu turned humans follow, following plans drawn up by their master engineer and architect, Yoshi, began to assemble houses. The whole thing looked very old-worldly, with people sat on scaffolding, slotting treated planks and logs together into frames to make houses. Kind of reminded Monty of a barn raising that he'd seen, but much on a much larger scale. It was truly incredible how fast they put the whole place together, working the way they did. While you waited for your house to be built, you either lived in a tent or on one of the ships. When he wasn't helping with the construction or other houses, Monty chose to be spending time breaking rocks and using water power, using a water-powered rock crusher they'd set up to make gravel for foundations. He found the work both cathartic and gratifying all at once. It also helped to keep himself strong. He might be in his sixties, but that didn't mean he was going to age either gracefully or quietly. No, he was determined to fight the ravages of time with every breath he took. The gravel was being used to provide drainage to all the houses, so he might not have the strength to lift huge logs or wooden panels. He was determined to contribute something to the building of this place. So ahead of the construction crews, he would use wheelbarrows to carry the gravel to the foundation areas of the homes, shoveling it in and packing it down on into the base. While he was doing the, his own, he found Yelen watching him curiously. "'What are you doing, old woman?' she asked with a deeply, heavily accented voice. Monty looked up at her with a scowl. "'Less of the old, if you don't mind, lassie. And from what I know of your lifespan, you're probably older than me anyhow. But to answer your question, I'm laying ground gravel foundations to help with drainage. Something tells me that when it rains around here, it pours.' If the size of these bloody trees are anything to go by, Monty snapped, feeling mildly offended by her addressing him as old, though in all honesty, he didn't really know why he cared about that. It wasn't like it wasn't true. The large Jujuta female drew herself up and folded her arms over a huge bosom. Though he guessed by her species standards, it was probably likely average at best, but by human standards, it was like having flesh-covered beach balls strapped to her chest. She frowned at him and clicked her mandibles, a metallic one making a metallic ping as she did. I am not old, Uman, and merely one hundred and ten by your earth years, she growled and Monty laughed out loud, making a look of anger and malice pass over her unusual features. Why you laugh, old Uman? Why is this funny to you? she yelled, stomping over to him. Now Monty would be lying to himself if he didn't admit that she was incredibly intimidating. But the old soldier had never backed down to anyone in his life, and he wasn't about to start now. He'd woken up on the floor of many a Glasgow or Edinburgh pub as a result of this attitude, but it had served him well nevertheless, so he wasn't let about to let himself be bullied by an oversized alien Amazon who looked like a bloody pirate in training. You say that you're not old, lassie, yet you're nearly double my age. Where I'm from, you'd be sat in a nursing home complaining that the young nurses made your tea too strong again and watching the antiques roadshow or shouting at the idiots on game shows who can't angle a, answer a single question right. He shot back, drawing himself up and wiping his sweat-covered brow with his shirt that he'd taken off and tied around his head like a bandana to stop the sweat running down into his eyes and blinding him. 
Elaine's one remaining eye narrowed dangerously, and she growled menacingly, leaning down close to his face. From this angle, Monty could see all the muscles in both her huge shoulders and thick neck bunching. She looked like a cross between an Amazon warrior and a pro wrestler, who'd seriously overdone the growth hormones. But that didn't make her any less dangerous. But then he'd spent God knows how many years on that planet fending off these bastards and put more than his fair share of them in the ground. So intimidated? Yes. Scared? No. Elen seemed to notice this, and he watched her single bright blue eye search his features before it locked onto his and narrowed. By my people's standards, I am young, in my prime and virile. By yours, you are old and broken down. She snarled and he laughed. And here's me believing that your culture was supposed to respect your elders. Though I suppose that doesn't really apply given that you're older than me. Monty shot back and Yelene growled again, eyeing him darkly. But then she is huffed and surprised him by drawing herself up and smiling at him darkly. We respect strength. Most of our elders of our race only get to be that way by facing many, many hunts and many, many battles, and living to tell the tales of it. The scars on their hides tell the tales of their exploits, like verses in a song, so they are worthy of respect, she said in a matter-of-fact voice. Oh, so it's scars you want, is it, lassie? All right, I'll show you bloody scars, so I will, Monty said in annoyance. His full Scottish accent bleeding through his, his composure slept thanks to this infuriating, insufferable and arrogant woman. Monty turned around and lifted up his white vest top so that he was covering his bare skin and turned his back to her. You see those fuckers on my shoulders there? Done by those plasma pop guns of yours? And the, these right here on my sides? Those are your bloody wee butter knives you like to strap to your arms. This one right here is one of those wee plate-like disc thingies you like to throw around like frisbees, Monty said, pointing first to three large burns on his back, then to three different sets of twin slice marks on his flanks made by Yujuta wrist blades, and finally to a large horizontal slice across the top of his left shoulder made at an angle towards his neck. And these are only the ones I got fighting your fucking blood, bad blood wankers on that hunting reserve. Let me tell you, lassie. Not one of the fuckers who marked me well lived to tell a bloody tale of it. They might have taken an ounce of flesh from me, but I took a bloody pound from them. And I'm the fucker that walked away, so don't you piss on a proud Scotsman and expect him to take it. And there's only the ones I got there, you see. See these. Got these in the Falkland Islands back on my home planet. Fucker shot me four times and I still managed to walk away. Then there's these bayonet wounds got these fighting in Africa. So don't you tell me about bloody scars, lassie. If you think I've got each one got a song verse, then I got a whole bloody symphony written on me arse, Monty said with a mixture of indignance and pride in his voice. Yelene looked at him in both surprise and confusion, as her eyes roamed his scars from scar to scar across his toned body. He might be old, but that didn't mean he was either broken down or in bad shape. He'd always prided himself on being able to run rings around the younger recruits back when he was a sergeant major. And he was no different now. And years of fighting Yejuta bad bloods in their own turf while fighting to gather resources to scratch a meagre living 
had further shaped his body. He was lean and toned, way beyond what one would expect of one of his age, and it was obvious that it had caught Yelene by surprise. She made a deep huff noise and tore her eye away from him as he dropped his vest back into place and covered himself back up. Then she turned around and pointed to a set of four long furrows on her right hip. A fire tiger on my very first hunt with my matriarch cut me to the bone. I still managed to cut its throat with my wrist blades, she said as Monty found his eyes roaming over the shapely curve of her feminine hip. She had thighs like tree trunks, and they looked like they'd been carved and sculpted rather than grown. And she lifted the drape of her armour which covered her upper half. Seemed a little bit more modest than most Yajuta. Some walked around like they were walking around in metal underwear and fishnet stockings. She pointed to a series of slices and a round puncture among her chiselled abdominals that seemed solid enough to break bloody rocks on. I got these during my blooding hunt from Xenomorphs, where I, got a, I came a full-blooded huntress, along with these acid burns from their blood when it splattered over me, she said, pointing to three spots on her upper right arm where the flesh had been eaten away and repaired leaving three odd-shaped crescent scars that kind of looked like stars on her bicep and shoulder. The pair spent the next half an hour comparing scars and telling the tale of how they got each one of them, though obviously not the full tale, or the pair would have then been there for hours. But oddly, she didn't mention either the eye or the mandible, whether that was because she didn't believe them of note, or worthy, or maybe she got them in a decidedly dishonourable way, was more debatable, but Monty did think it rather odd that she didn't mention it. At the end, Yelene looked at him with a different look in her eye. You're somewhat softer than before. Seems I've misjudged you, old woman. You are a seasoned warrior and worthy of respect. But I am not the type who simply gives respect away. My respect must be earned. But I will say this. I acknowledge that you were not weak as I once surmised she said. Monty felt himself scowl, but as far as he's you to go, that was probably as close to an apology as he was going to get. And she still hadn't dropped the old part. She was still grinning at him in that odd way that they did with their mandibles drawn up. A black-studded eye patch and metal mandible were glinting in the sunlight. Well, if you don't mind, lassie, I'm going to get back to work now, Monty said. What is this lassie? My name is Yelene. Why do you insist on calling me by this name, odd old woman? Is it an insult? She growled, taking a step towards him, which, given how long her legs were, put him dire- put her directly right next to him and forced him to have to crane his neck to look up at the nine-foot-tall female. Probably for the same reason you insist on calling me old woman. When have I told you my name is Monty? And no, it's not an insult. It's how we Scotsmen call women or ladies. Females are lassie and males are laddie. It's basically slang, he said defiantly. She narrowed her eye and looked at him in a curious way. Hmm, you are a curious one, old woman. You are both afraid and not afraid of me at the same time. I smell your fear in the air around you. It is pungent and thick. So I ask you, old woman, are you afraid of me? She said with a cocky smile, lifting one side of her mandibles up like a grin. Monty's pride kicked in, and very made he, very nearly made him lie and say no, but so something told him that telling the truth in this circumstance would be the best course. 
Yeah, I'm afraid of you, lassie. I'm no fool. I mean, look at you. You have nearly three feet of height on me and no, who knows how many hundreds of pounds of pure muscle. You look like you could tear my arms and legs off and then beat me with them before stuffing them back up my arse. You're basically a brick shithouse that got into the steroids. But fear isn't a bad thing, you know. Only the stupid and the crazy don't feel fear. The rest of us learn how to manage it and use it to our advantage. It gives us an edge, quicker reflexes, better strength. When it comes in real handy when you're being hunted like an animal. Only a fool is not afraid, but the wise use it to their advantage. Those who are strong tend to rely only too much on their strength and not enough on their brains. This leads them into being overconfident, cocky. Only a fool underestimates their prey. When I was taught to fight, I was taught to treat every opponent not only like I was fighting for my life, but that every opponent knew my every move. It means you not only fight smart, you fight wise, he said. Yelen's brow raised in surprise. It seems you are more familiar with the ways of the hunt, old Uman. You are correct, of course. A dumb huntress is a dead huntress. And I am not a dumb huntress, as is evident by the fact that I am still standing. And when I hunt my prey, I always, and I mean always, catch them. And I get my trophy. So be glad that I am not hunting you, old Uman. Oh, you wouldn't stand a chance of escaping me, she said with a deep, growl-tinged voice. This is this time Monty's pride did kick in, and it triggered his mouth before his brain had f finally realised that she was being metaphorically slapped with a gauntlet of challenge. He snorted a laugh and twirled his moustache while meeting her eye, and it, as it narrowed dangerously. It really was obvious she didn't like being laughed at. Tad overconfident, aren't we, lassie? This dog might be old, but he's not dead yet. And I got plenty of tricks... I'm not opposed to learning new ones either. Don't forget that your kind tried hunting me before, and I'm the one who's still standing here. You might think I'd be easy prey, lassie, and you'd be very, very wrong, he said, and to surprise Len actually smiled, though it was somewhat of a dark smile, to be fair. No worthwhile hunt is easy, old man. The breast prey are either the smartest or the most dangerous. The very best ones are both, and those are my kind of prey, she said kind of darkly, leaning down, bringing her face close to his and focusing her eye on his. But rather than look away, Monty simply held her gaze and just smiled. Well, not that this conversation hasn't been interesting, lassie, but I really need to get back to work now. So, if you'll excuse me, I'll be seeing you around, he said, turning his back to packing his tools. It was obvious she wasn't used to being either dismissed or ignored, and it blatantly stunned her, and he could actually feel her staring at his back like her eye was trying to bowl a hole into the, into his back of his head. Maybe you will, old man, but then maybe you, again you won't see me until it's too late. Only time will see which will be, it will be, she said, and he actually blew out a breath he hadn't realised he'd been holding as he walked away. And he heard her walk away as well. God, those Yejuda girls were damn scary. Far worse than the boys. And not just because they were bigger. There was something about interacting with a female that disarmed part of the male psyche. But the way they looked, 
and the size of them triggered all your inbuilt predator warnings. So it was like part of your mind began to war with each other, which made for even more prevalent when he stole a glance at her as she walked away and he found his eyes drawn to her rear end and found that it truly took his breath away. It was like someone had carved it from solid obsidian and the way he could see her hip levelled and levelled her armour. He saw her glance back over her shoulder at him and he snapped his attention back to his work, feeling beads of sweat soaking into his homemade bandana. Somehow he got the real feeling that with her around and basically living next door to him, he was going to be spending an awful lot of time looking over his shoulder from now on. He didn't think she would truly hurt him, as he couldn't imagine either Tick Ellith or Jack taking kindly to that sort of thing at all, and given that all of them had come here with the hope of being free from the trappings of their clans, and the possibility of finding a new kind of love, so that thing would either be the counterintuitive, but it just didn't mean she couldn't make him uncomfortable though, and how and when she chose to do that, he just didn't know. So over the next few days, Monty endured more of her scrutiny. He would routinely catch her watching him while he was working on his plot. Though whether because she was copying his methods for foundation laying and gravel making, or for some other reason, he didn't exactly know. But she did seem to be copying his methods in regards to laying the foundations of her new home. So for all her bluster, it seemed that she did rather see the value in the woman method. She didn't really talk to him, however, but she continued to watch him as he prepped his groundwork, and not long after their homes were built, she actually surprised him by actually helping out in the raising of his home. It never seemed to fail to surprise him how monumentally strong their kind was, as he watched her lift an entire support beam to drop it into one of the holes of the corner foundation like it was nothing. He couldn't help but observe the way her muscles bunched like steel cables beneath that oddly painted hide of hers. One thing he observed from years of watching their kind wasn't that they were just incredibly strong, but also incredibly quick as well. Surprisingly graceful, in fact. He'd learned that from watching them leap through the trees like they were oversized Tarvazan reenactors. And it was reinforced when he saw her leap from the ground to the outer frame of his house and balance on the very edge like a type, huge type walker. In fact, he was truly surprised that the wall could actually support her weight to begin with. As she watched, she bent over and grabbed the edge of the roof, though from where he was on the ladder and against the inner wall of the beams, he watched her crab walk across the wall frame to get herself a better grip so she could hoist it up. Though when he looked up, only three feet from his face, he instantly hit his hand with his hammer because... He was using his eyes were torn away from the nail he was hitting and drawn like a metal magnet to the utterly sculpted feminine rear end dangling right in front of him. Monty let loose a very ungentlemanly string of curses as he wafted and then cradled his indigent hand. He felt eyes upon him, or rather an eye upon him, and he glanced up to find Yulene gr- grinning at him, holding on to the edge of the roof frame aloft like it was made of cardboard. You should watch what you're doing, old man. Can't be too careful at your age. Wouldn't want to fall off that ladder and break a hip. You so you oomans are so easily distracted. And add on top of that your little self-control. Plus, 
woman is so fragile, she said with a smug smile of hers plastered on her face and it infuriated him. But he held his tongue. Lashing out in anger usually resulted in one making look foolish. And Monty was no one's fool. He didn't live as long as he did by being either one. So rather than lashed out, he turned the other thing that he'd learned over many years, his intellect. Tell me, Yelen, why did you come here? He said, finishing up what she, he was securing as she hoisted the roof frame into place over his head. He saw a glance at him. To be free, to live a life of my choosing, and to find someone I deem worthy of me and to prove to prove that I am still worthy and useful, she said proudly, and Monty nodded in understanding. Not so different for me, really, you know. I had a chance to go back home after it was all over, but I chose not to. I chose this life of uncertainty and hardship, because after going through what I did, how would it be possible to go back to a place where everyone is so clueless about the true harsh realities of the universe? So I took what Jack and Tick offered, not because it was going to be easy, not because it was going to be hard, and I knew it would be hard. But here I am, useful, and at the end of the day, isn't that all what we all truly want to be? He said, and he saw a stop to mullis over in her head. But how could you be useful, old man? she asked, and this irked Monty. He knew she was trying to bait him, and he didn't know why. He hadn't done anything to her, so why she had taken such an interest in winding him up was beyond him. I've spent my entire life fighting and training warriors. I've fought my fair share of wars and battles in every environment known to my kind, and then some, and I'm still here, and I'm still alive. Never underestimate the power of experience. Arrogance tends to get people killed. Just ask all those so-called hunters I put in the ground back on the preserve planet. It's no wonder the place is such a lush jungle. It's watered in blood. You know I thought you were supposed to learn from your mistakes, your lot. From where I'm standing, really doesn't seem like it. He said more bitterly than he would have liked. Yelene seemed to be mulling this over. And for the remaining time they spent working, because she didn't say another word to him. But he did see her glance at him more than once. But she didn't speak, just scowled. It's obvious that she really hadn't liked what he'd had to say, but that was tough shit. If she was going to continue to bait him like that, then she should have expected him to strike back at some point. And Monty always struck for the heart. The house was next, and because she'd help him build his, he helped her build hers. She didn't speak the entire time, just worked to build herself a home. And Monty helped while her and the stronger of his to helpers were mostly female, worked to raise the walls. Monty used the stone that hadn't been yet turned into gravel yet to erect a fireplace and chimney stack. He'd already made more than enough to build both of the pairs, figuring that while she may be able to make her own foundations using his methods, he correctly figures that she wouldn't set aside stronger stuff that didn't crush down to make into a fireplace, or to make any mortar to bind it all together. So, in preparation, he'd made enough for both of them. Though he didn't know why he'd done it, really. But with the help of a group of humans that the female Yejutas were all hiding up rather saliciously, and made quick work of building and erecting it. 
Once it was done, Monty did exactly... He lit a fire in it to speed up the mortar drying process. He heard heavy footsteps on the boards he'd finished doing and he turned to find Yelene looking at the fire that was burning. It wasn't a roaring shoal fire. This one was a mixture of wood to ignite the coal dug up from the small mine where they got the metal from to burn hotter and longer. What are you doing? Yelene asked, looking at the fire. Set in the mortar quicker. Heat makes this stuff stronger, sure. It's dry and set on its own, but it'll take three to four days. And given it gets pretty cold at night, I figured you'd want a fireplace working. But I can extinguish it if you prefer, he said, and she lifted her eye to him curiously. No, that's fine, and thank you for your help today, she said, sounding rather begrudged of his gravel. Favour for a favour, lassie, nothing more, Monty said, heading to the door. But as he was about to pass through the threshold, something pinged into his mind. There was just something in her eye as he'd passed her, something he'd never expected to ever see. Sadness. And there was something in his head that just clicked, like a well-made joist clicking into place. Something tells me you come here for more than just freedom. You came here to get the one thing you couldn't get anywhere else. Something you want so badly, but a part of you still hates yourself for wanting all the same. But you came here for it. You gave up your clan to come here and be a part of this one. To be a part of building this one. To get that one thing you've always wanted but never could have. And now you can. And you realise to yourself that you don't have the first clue about the thing you want so badly. So they consider this a piece of free advice. And you can take the cho- t- choose to take it or not. It's up to you. No skin off my nose either way, lassie. While might and respect strength, we don't respect arrogance. You go around treating humans like you're better than them, you're going to be spending a very, very long time alone. And given likely, rightly, what you rightly said, given what I've learned from Jack, that your lifespan are about a thousand years, that's an awful long time to spend alone. There's an old earth saying that's quite prevalent here. You catch more flies with honey than vinegar. As a huntress... You should know you never bait your trap with something bitter if your prey is looking for something sweet, he said. And with that, he went to leave. Before he got halfway out of the door, she sp- And what of you, old woman? What is it that you want? Are you too not tired of being alone? She said in a voice much quieter than he'd expected her to use. And there was a definite tinge of anger there. I'm used to it. So why change the life to habit of a lifetime, lassie? He said, and with that, he was gone. Monty spent the next couple of days arranging for furniture. It seemed that Miller really did have a serious talent for carpentry. So he'd made a deal with him for some furniture. For all the fish of things, of all things. Though to be fair, Monty was relishing the challenge to go fishing again. It had been so very long since he'd last sat on the shores of the locks of his home just to lose himself in the peace and solitude of those most almost ethereal places. He might not be much good at furniture building, but one thing he really could do, he could fish. So he spent the next couple of days whittling up a strong and flexible rod. The power of a fishing rod was not in how rigid and unbending it was, but how far it could flex before it broke. 
Then came the line. He wanted it thin enough as to not be easily noticed by the fish, but strong enough to stretch without breaking under the stress. Boiled tendons were pretty good for this. Then there were the hooks. Now you could make do with natural ones, like strong thorns, but metal was so much better. So, after a quick word with Jack, who relished the challenge at his forge, he actually had himself a variety of hooks, and even some flies to go with them. So, with all of his gear ready and packed, Monty took up his rifle and went off in search of lakes that the hunters that had been going out and bringing back meat for the camp had told him about. And as he was leaving, he saw Yelen chopping wood at the edge of a camp in the other forest. Every day, either the Yejutra or humans, or even Citrus, went out and brought back a tree to be turned into firewood for everyone. And as he approached, she stopped and watched him curiously. "'Are you going hunting, old man?' she said curiously. "'In a manner of speaking, yes, but my prey doesn't run through the forest or roam through the plains, or even swing through the trees.' There's no flashing of blades or howling at the moon. My prey is the quietest, sneakiest and most elusive of all prey. A prey like no other prey, that requires pure patience and cunning to obtain. So obviously of no interest in your kind, Monty said, and Yelen snarled, her mandibles flaring at him. No woman could ever out-hunt me. I was born to hunt, she snarled loudly, and Monty just grinned at her. Oh, is that so? Care to put your money where your mouth is then, lassie? He said, and she looked very confused by that, so he clarified. Care to make a wager? He said. She cocked her head curiously and thoughtfully. A look passed over her face before changing into a deep grin. Very well. Old Uman, how about this? As we have no money to trade, and I am not interested in barter, we will deal in service instead. When I defeat you, you will serve me as my attendant for one day and one night, a full twenty-four hour period. Whatever my wish will be, will be your command. Deal? she said smugly. Monty snorted. He had always been a betting man, and in his experience luck always favoured the bold and confident. And when I snap my metaphorical foot off in that chiselled alien arse of yours while I'm kicking it, I guess I get the same, do I? He said, now as Yelend turned to snort a laugh, I have never lost a hunting life wager in my life, old man. But I am no honourless porking blad blood. I would not make a wager that I had no intention of keeping. So, if by some miracle you do defeat me, then I will serve you the same. Your wish will be my command. So do we have a wager? she asked. Monty thought for a moment. On one condition... This will be a fair contest, so no Yejuta weaponry. We'll use my tools and methods, or no deal, he said, and she growled deeply, but then stuck out her large hand. We have a deal, old man, but I will need a set of those tools, as I do not have any, she said, and Monty grinned. Don't worry, just so happens I made spares, he said, tapping his rod case, which made a basically large hollow tube strapped onto his back. Very well then, let us head out to my impending triumph, she said. Sure thing. I'm just wondering what I should have you do when I win. Cook my hall or clean my house? Or, hmm, 
Maybe I can get one of those tailors to knock up a nice frilly maid's outfit for you. Might need a lot of cloth, though. Though you can keep the stockings, always thought they were a nice touch. Monty said, flashing her a grin, and she looked at him with a rather surprised-looking brow before settling her face back into a confident smirk. In your dreams, old woman. But for that, when I win, I think I will have you dress in naught but a loincloth when you serve me. She said Monty snorted. Now who's dreaming? But we'll see, lassie. We will see. He said and and growled. We will indeed, old woman. She said and with that the pair headed off in the direction of the lakes. It was obvious to Monty that Yelena had no idea what they were going to hunt by the way she kept talking. She kept saying things like no old man could match his shooter in for patience. We would sit for trees in the trees for hours or days if necessary, waiting for the perfect time to strike. When I am bathed in the blood of my quarry and their skull held proudly in my hand, you will see the glory of a Yejuta hunt, old woman. Meanwhile, Monty just stayed quiet, letting her believe that she was carrying some form of spear in this case. Though her confusion was palpable when he stopped to find some worms to use for bait, explaining that they were the favourite food of their prey. He couldn't help but delight in her confusion. He could actually see her running through a list of prey animals in her head trying to figure out what they were actually hunting. Finally, they arrived at the lakes the hunters had described, and instantly Monty felt an incredible nostalgia and a homesickness. They were just like the locks of his old homeland in Scotland. Huge, clear lakes with hills surrounding them on all sides. He breathed in a huge lungful of fresh air and exhaled it with a contented sigh. Ah, just like home, he said softly, and you then looked at him curiously. You used to live in a place like this, old woman? she asked, and he looked at her. Yes, I'm from a place called Scotland, back on earth. More specifically, I lived in the Highlands. Honestly, the terrain around the forests and lakes reminds me of it, though we call them locks from our old language, he said. Yelene looked thoughtful for a moment. Then it seems you will have a terrain advantage, old woman. I will have to bear this in mind when we hunt, she said, and Monty shook his head. Honestly, with the prey we're hunting, the only one with a home field advantage is them. And I can tell you now that that fun fancy hunting mask doohickey of yours ain't going to do shit against this prey, he said, and she cocked her head. Oh, and why is that? she asked. Simple. They're cold-blooded, he said with a cocky smile, and he twirled his moustache, drinking in her surprise. Cold-blooded prey? Are we hunting serpents or reptiles? She asked, and Monty spotted a near-perfect spot on the shoreline, and he placed his gear down. Neither. We, lassie, are hunting fish, he said with a smile that got wider by the seconds he drove in both the shock and realisation spreading over the other end's features as she realised a trap had been sprung, and she'd barrelled headfirst right into it. Fish. We are hunting fish, she said, her voice sounding both disappointed and galled all at once. Monty unpacked both the rods and set them up before handing one out to her. Aye, that we are, lassie. Well, unless you think fish are too cunning and difficult a prey for you to catch, in which case you're more than welcome to throw in the towel and concede your defeat right now. I promise to accept it graciously. In fact, it'd be most fortunate, as it give me all day to plan out your mail's outfit right down to the intricate detail. 
Monty said smugly, and he, uh, as he eyed her, he could actually see steam coming off her head and her predlocks. She looked like she was about to go nuclear, but he couldn't help like the fire that burned in her single blue eye. Not on your life, old Ooman. I will never concede. If fish is our chosen prey, then fish is what I will hunt, and I will prove to you the glory of the Yejuta Huntress in her prime. She roared, and Monty both laughed and sighed. Well, I appreciate your enthusiasm, lassie, but I feel you've just made our task infinitely harder with it, he said, and she glared at him. What are you babbling about, old Ooman? she demanded. Well, the first thing about fish you have to know is they're real skittish and nervy, since, you know, many things like to hunt and eat them, he said, handing her a spare rod. She looked at it as if he just handed her a dildo. So, what is your point? she asked. Well, they're not exactly known to respond well to loud noises. You know, like shouting and roaring. Tends to scare them off. Making our job infinitely harder, Monty said sarcastically as he saw Lejeune glance sheepishly at the water. Now, go and pick out your spot. The winner is is the one with the most fish caught at the end of the day. And like I said, human methods only. No plasma cannons, wrist blades or spear fishing. Rod, line and hook only. If I wanted an easy no challenge, I'd lob a grenade in there and be done with it. But that's not the point of fishing. It's about patience, he said. Yozen growled something and grumbled something, stomping off the up the shore a little ways. But he noticed he didn't she didn't go far enough away so that she couldn't watch him. Which she did so as he set up his seat, baited his hook and made his first cast of the day. He couldn't help but watching Yozen as she tried a simple yet devilishly tricky game of cat and mouse that was fishing. Fish might be simple creatures, but they could be tricky blighters to catch. Depending on the species, he did eventually manage to entice. You could have a serious fight on your hands. But with fishing, the fight wasn't about Bruce's strength. It was about tiring your opponent out until they were too tired to continue. And then you were able to net them or pluck them out from the water. Too much force and you'd end up with a situation like Yelen found herself in. Where eventually, after much trial and error and angry growling at her equipment and the water, where she tried to tear the fish that took her hook from the water, she found herself actually holding half a fish. Almost specifically, a rather surprised and equally confusing-looking fish head. Though, to be fair, Monty couldn't knock the Yejuta capacity for both learning and figuring things out on the fly. Even without him there to instruct her or offer her pointers, she seemed to be picking things up from simply observing him from this distance. This led to eventually him hearing a roar of triumph as she eventually held up her first successfully caught fish of the day like a trophy. And to be fair, it was a rather fine example of the large flying trout-like species that seemed to like to live in this lake. It could routinely be seen leaping from the water and skimming over the surface with rainbow-coloured wing-like fins popping out from their sides before plopping back into the water a distance away. He often caught flying bugs on the wing as well. And Monty also swore he saw Yelizhen's plasma cast tracking one on his gimbal at one point. Monty couldn't help but entertain himself with the hyper-pumped-up Yejuta woman's antics. 
It was like watching someone jacked off their tits on speed and crystal meth being forced to play chess. But she was a fast learner. Plus, he had to give her that. Plus, in her determination not to lose so an old man driving her, made astounding strides in a very short space of time. And surprisingly, she did manage to land quite a number of fish by the end of it. Though Monty did find himself being distracted by her in other ways as well. For all his lasting mental scars inflicted by the Yejuta, he couldn't help but look at her as a mighty fine woman. She was seriously a lot of woman to handle, to be fair. Monty couldn't help but think that the poor human the quarter eye was in for some serious trouble. Because at the end of the day, that's kind of why they defected from their clans to this spawn in the first place, wasn't it? The chance to love another and not of their own race. To find love among the stars, as Jack and Tick had pitched it. And to have no one judge you for it. He did have to admit that Yelen was not exactly ugly, which was a confession to himself that both surprised him and shocked him. He had to admit that despite her size and obvious alienness, she was a mighty fine-looking woman under it all. All the right plots in all the right places. And hell, a lot more to them than any human woman ever would have. Take her rear end, for example. It looked like it could be used to take the caps off beer bottles without her even flinching. Then there were her legs. The fucking things just seemed to go on forever with little regard to those bloody beach balls she called breasts. He wondered how she didn't even manage to knock herself out when she ran, or how she could even see her feet under the damn things. Monty shook his head to clear it. Couldn't afford to be thinking about these things about a crazy alien killing machine huntress. Eventually the sun began to set, and that's when Monty decided to call time on their little fishing trip. That's time, lassie. Secure your catch and let's see who's won, Monty called, and he was barraged with a distant growling and grumbling as he got the feeling that more than one of the noises he heard were curses in Yejuta. But she packed up all the same. She stalked over, holding out a bunch of fish on a looped length of cord made from vine. Monty found himself rather impressed. Usually a first time would be lucky if they actually got one, but she had at least six good ones on that string of hers. Fair play, you lassie. You shooter lassies can really hold your own when it comes to adapting quickly. I would certain you'd be lucky to get even one, he said, and a smug smile crossed her mandibles and her blue eye flashed. See, I told you, old woman, you shooter are born to hunt. There's no way I could lose to... Where are your prey? She suddenly realised that Monty wasn't holding any fish. Oh, they're over there, he said, pointing to a tarpaulin. She turned and instantly her mandibles dropped open. Not possible. You must have cheated, she exclaimed when she saw twenty-three multicoloured fish all bundled together and Monty scowled at her darkly. I never cheat, he said darkly and she simply glared at him. Then how do you hunt me? She exclaimed loudly. Simple lassie. I've been doing this since I was able to lift a rod. I've got over 60 years of experience in doing it. I know what bait to use, what techniques, when to cast and when to draw and set the hook. If anything, I'm impressed that you even got one today. But that still doesn't excuse the accusation. I would never cheat to win. A bet or anything else. Monty snarled. And he saw Yelizen look conflicted and sulky. Fine. 
I believe in the principles of the Honourable Hunt, and I am a proud daughter of the Great Huntress, so I can see defeat. But I will not lose to you ever again, old woman. Mark my words, she snarled, and Monty couldn't help but crack a smile. Oh, so plan on challenging me again, do you? Must be a glutton for punishment, lassie, he said smugly, and she snarled and clacked her mandibles together. Count on it, old woman. I will regain my honour, and next time it will be for a prey of my choosing and on my terms, she snarled. Very well, as you wish, lassie. I'm no shirker, and I'll take you on. But do me a favour and try to pick something that isn't going to fucking kill me. I didn't survive years of that bullshit to come halfway across the galaxy to get myself killed over a wager. I may be many things, but fool isn't one of them, he said sternly. Elaine simply growled and stomped off ahead of him while he gathered up his fish in, it, in his tarpaulin and tied it together up in a sack before following behind her, carrying the heavy load as she followed behind. He couldn't help but stare at Elaine's incredibly strong back the way her hips flared perfectly and flowed into those tree-trunk-like thighs. But try as he might, he couldn't stop his eyes being drawn like magnets to her absolutely perfect rear end. It was like perfection made flesh, and it seemed to be a real shame there was something she had to sit on. It was like such a waste somehow. Finally they made it back to town, and Monty took Yolen to meet one of the butchers he knew, turned the majority of their cash. Much to the butcher's delight, it had been a while since they'd had fresh fish on hand, and he made quite a fuss on how he was going to prepare it and how it was going to go down at dinner tonight. Elaine seemed was confused as to why Monty was keeping some of the catch back for himself, but he didn't answer. He just avoided the question, to infer it was to pay off a debt, which it wasn't. He just needed it to pay for services and goods he was going to need. So when will my forfeit for losing begin? Elaine asked, sounding like she was chewing gravel as she said it. I'll let you know, lassie. Now, don't forget to attend the meal tonight. I'd hate to think you missed out on the fruits of our labours today. Even though you lost the bet, it's the first time fish has been caught on this world, as far as I know. So that makes you the second best fisher on this planet, he said. And that somehow did seem to cheer her up. And one day soon, I will be the greatest old woman. Mark my words, she said. Now he couldn't help but laugh. She really was seriously competitive, this one, and she had a real sore spot for losing. As he left her, she was curious as to where he was going, but he wasn't going home. But she didn't press the issue, and he left to go and see a man about a dog, as he put to her, confusing the hell out of her in the meantime. Just two days later, he was ready to call in his marker. So he made his way over to her house and knocked on the door in the morning. She answered it, looking sleepy and dishraveled. My, my, lassie, I didn't have you pegged as a night owl. I thought you lot like to be up at the crack of dawn to hunt, he said. I was studying, she said grumpily and cocked his head. Studying what, he asked. The prey reports of this planet. When the next we do battle, I will not lose she said, showing that she was still sore over losing to him two days ago. But somehow he smelled a rat. Figured it might be a good idea to do the same if she was going to challenge him to a rematch. Well, be that as a may, laddie, lassie. I'm ready to collect on our bet now. So be at my place for midday. Oh, and here is your uniform. 
Can't have you have you cleaning my place dressed in battle armour, no can I? He said, and in a surprising curious she shoot her a box. Before she could argue or start screaming, he left, saying, And if you don't wear it, I'll consider it a forfeit for a fair bet. Over his shoulder, knowing her honour would tie her up in knots, though he could practically hear the scream from her house when she finally opened the box and saw what was inside, and he smiled a little smugly to himself. Little did he expect his little prank to backfire so spectacularly. As expected, at exactly midday, there was a knock at the door, and he opened it to find the Elaine standing there in a full-length cloak complete with hood. She looked one part furious and one part embarrassed as hell. Though why, he couldn't quite say. Elaine was adorable. I am here as instructed, old man, she snarled. Good to see your kind of good timekeepers. Oh, come on in, hang up your cloak. Oh, and first order of the day is not to call me Old Ooman. Today it will be Monty. When you refer to me as Old Ooman even once, it will become Master, he said, and he heard her gnashing her mandibles as she stomped inside. Understood, Monty, she said through tightly clenched mandibles. Slowly she removed her cloak and turned to hang it up, and Monty's moustache very nearly popped out straight on both sides. He'd had the tailors made up a Yejuta-sized French maid outfit, but boy, they'd outdone themselves. It was black, matching her skin perfectly, and was decorated with white frills and lace around the edges, and then even had a bonnet. She looked absolutely incredible in it, plus the tailor seemed to have made the shirt rather short. The skirt rather short. Yolaine stood with her arms folded over her ample chest, glaring at him. Well, I hope you're happy, old ooman. You got your wish, she said. No sooner had the words left her mouth than she'd realised what she'd done and her eye went wide. That that was a mistake, a slip of the tongue, she exclaimed. Monty smiled and shook his head. I explained the rules perfectly to you, lassie, and you still broke them. So from now on, it's master, he said, and she snarled loudly. Yes, master. She growled, making it sound somehow like a threat. But Monty took it. Good. And just to be clear, if you break the rules again, I'll make you take a walk around town and leave your cloak here. He said, and that got her attention. No, anything but that, she exclaimed, and he nodded, getting the reaction he wanted. Okay, first I'd like you to give this place a damn good clean. And make sure you don't miss anything. I'll be checking he said, taking a seat at the table to continue working on his custom fishing lures. But to be fair, he just simply couldn't tear his eyes away from her, no matter how hard he tried. They'd just keep creeping back to her legs, to the way her skirt shook when she was dusting, the way her predlocks shimmied in the time with her perfect rear end as she leaned down to dust. And that's when they'd so he'd seen just how short they'd really made that skirt. Must have wanted it. They must have thought they wanted it for some kind of sexy time role-play rather than for real, because what he got an eyeful of nearly burrowed every blood vessel in his head wide open, along with a few others in his body. Plus, his Yuta underwear was basically nothing. It was like a perfect full moon crossed with a black hole. The gravity just drew your entire bearing in and refused to let go, 
made infinitely worse when she got down on her hands and knees to work on the currently unlit fire grate. All day he'd been doing cleaning tasks. He didn't make her do anything shameful, really. In all honesty, he just wanted to punish her for her arrogance and constantly calling him old Ooman as it got on his nerves. The stuff he made her do wasn't much, really. Just cleaning and making her prepare food for him. She actually surprised him on that front by making a delicious meat dish. He got her to join him for it. He made sure that she'd prepared enough for two as there was no way he was going to be so cruel as to ungentlemanly as to eat in front of her and give her none, especially when she was the one who prepared it. Tell me, Master, what was it like on the planet? The reserve, I mean, she asked suddenly. It was a pretty hell, lassie. Every day was a struggle for survival. Even when we weren't being hunted, we had all these people relying on those of us who could hunt and fight for both protection and food, as the predators on the planet would kill you just as happily as the bad bloods would. So many of us weren't even combatants. They even dropped children onto that planet to hunt. There were a large group of them dropped in all at once, and of all, all of them, only Amy survived, he said bitterly, and Yelene suddenly looked furious and appalled. They dropped in cubs to hunt, she roared, and he nodded. Animals, porking animals. No, even animals are better than they. Hunting cubs of any race is the most forbidden thing there is, she snarled. No arguments from me, lassie. It was vile, but we made it out. But what you see here might seem like quite a few of our number, but our number pale in comparison to those killed by those animals. I helped bury the bodies myself, what was left of them anyway. I'll never forget laying one of those wee ones to their final rest either. No child should be born to die just like that, and definitely not like that, mutilated and destroyed, and the young new life destroyed and ended just to be a fucking trophy on someone's wall. Sometimes it keeps me awake at night thinking about what kind of fear and pain those wee ones felt at the end, I mean. It's vile to do to any sentient being. But take me for an example. I'm an adult, an elder one at that. I'm a soldier, I'm a warrior. I can fight. I can defend myself. So if I fight and lose, so be it. But what chance do those wee ones have? He said, his anger and pain seeping through his voice. That's why we call them bad bloods. They broke the sacred rules of the hunt and disgrace us as a species. They are the vilest of our kind have to offer. And seeing some of the things they actually do makes me feel shame to be a shooter at times. They are a disgrace to my kind, she said angrily. After their meal, Yelene carried, cleared away their things and drew them in a bath, which made her grumble, but she did it all the same. Though as to his surprise, he saw her trying to glimpse him through the, behind the privacy screen as he stripped off and climbed into the bath. It wasn't like he could say anything about it to her, as all the glimpses he'd been sneaking of her all day. In fact, she'd sn he'd snuck so many glimpses of her Amazonian feminine-like body that he was beginning to feel like a dirty old man. She sat on a chair on the other side of the screen and they began swapping war stories after she asked him what it was like to be a soldier back on Earth. 
Like any old soldier, he had a barrel full of stories to tell. Some of them good, some of them funny. A good many of them was neither of either. It was surprisingly fun to talk with her, as he learned a great deal about both her and her race as a whole. They definitely weren't the barbarians he'd always believed them to be. She explained about the rules of the honest and honourable hunt. It was like a religion to them, one that Jack knew about given that he'd actually met and made a pact with their deity, goddess, Pia, the goddess of the eternal hunt. Plus, Jack was a warrior through and through. And what's more, he was a fellow Brit. Without all the other crap he was capable of, he was very, the very fact that he was an SAS boy made him worthy of respect. Those boys were fucking crazy on a whole new level. But he guessed that made them both worthy of some levels of trust and respect either way. The swapping of stories actually made him feel more at home than he had in a while. It was good to have somebody to simply talk to like this. It had been a very long time since he'd had company like this. When he finally climbed out of the bath and dried himself off with a towel on the, hanging on the screen, he caught her using the mirror to peek at him. So he decided to embarrass her a little. See anything you like? He asked and saw her flinch. But rather than play dumb, she, like he expected, she simply owned it. You are not what I expected, she said in a rather surprised and matter-of-fact voice. Oh, and what did you expect exactly? He said as he stepped out from behind the screen dressed in his nightwear, drying his long white hair. I expected you to be flabby, wrinkled and old. But your body is in excellent condition, even for one of a much younger male. It is obvious to me that you take pride in both your appearance and in your condition. You keep yourself toned and primed. It is yet more proof as your status of a one, as a warrior and a hunter. Though your performance with a fish showed me that. And I will admit, it is pleasing to see, she said in a matter-of-fact voice again. Monty chuckled softly and she scowled at him. What is so funny? she asked. Oh, nothing. I just thought it was amusing how you regarding the hunting of the fish, he said. She cocked her head, making a dread swish against her back. What does that mean? she asked. You underestimated your prey and it cost you. A fish can feed a man, or a yajuta, just as easy as any animal. But just like many, you fell into the trap of thinking because they're weak, they're not worthy, and therefore you underestimated them, and it cost you. Hopefully now that you understand that just because something is not as strong as you are, there is no reason that it cannot beat you. Fish are shrewd, devious and cunning little buggers, and they proved this to you time and time again, he said, and she looked real thoughtful now. It is true. I thought of them as unworthy of my talents. Despite my victory in catching some of their number, yours was far greater because you were both prepared and studied them as a good hunter should. It was both arrogance and a mistake on my part. It will not happen again. And it was a good lesson to learn. So for this I must thank you, Monty, uh, Master, for reminding me of it. She said, and he smiled at her, forgiving her the slip this time. Right, time for bed then. You can take my bed, seeing as your service doesn't end till tomorrow midday. And I can't allow a lady to sleep on my couch. So you'll take the bed, he said, and she looked at him in surprise. You're just 
giving me your bed, but I am your servant. Shouldn't I be sleeping either at your side or at the foot of your bed? She said, sounding surprised. Monty balked a bit at this. She'd been expecting him to order her into the bed the entire time. Uh, that's quite all right, lassie. I think I'll just be fine on the couch alone, he said, feeling his heart bump up a few notches as he spoke. There was something very odd at the way she was looking at him. Was that disappointment in her eye mixed with the surprise? Odd. I would have imagined that given the trouble you went to to have me dressed in such a way that pleased you, and given me the ways you've been looking at sneaking of my body all day, even when I haven't been deliberately showing it off to you, that you would have been rearing to order me into that bed of yours, that you would have left all that opportunity and effort go to waste surprising me. Do you not find me desirable? I have heard that whispers that woman males find scars on their females distasteful. Do mine disturb you? She said, her voice actually going rather quiet towards the end as if the thought that he didn't desire her made her sad. Monty felt a very strong pull to comfort the suddenly rather vulnerable-looking shooter female, though that was oddly like calling the Incredible Hulk vulnerable. But there it was. No, it's not that at all. You're highly desirable, woman, and the scars are not a turn-off for me, lassie. Hell, if I thought like that, then I'd have been doing some serious double standards here, wouldn't I? I mean, look at me. I look like I got fill thrown into a cement mixer filled with glass, he said. What's a cement mixer? she asked. Think my water-powered cr rock crusher mixed with a barrel, he replied, and she nodded, picturing it in her head, obviously. Then what is the problem? she said, and Monty was hit with a million different answers all at once, making his head spin. A big part of him wanted to do it, to order in her into his bed, to please him in so many devious and delicious ways, to make her strip that maid's uniform off her nice and slow, and to drink in every curve and slab of phlegm and muscle that it revealed, to the revel and the very delight of the deepest reaches of his hidden heart burned with. But then, just like a scream of FBI, open up, reality crashed back into his fantasy, taking in all windows and doors with it, to force her into so morally wrong on so many ways, than to force himself on her sexually. It assaulted his morality core with such force that it nearly caused his whole being to self-destruct with the force of the backlash of it, despite the fact that he knew that she could easily overpower him. Hell, she could crush him like a twig if she wished, without even breaking like a sweat. It was an honour, here that was ruling her here her honour that told her that she be accepted this part of the terms of the bet that she had no choice but to obey it has nothing to do with how desirable you are to me Ilen, and trust me you are desirable you're a prime slaffer you shoot a woman beef if I've ever seen one hell you got muscles in places I don't even have places so do not doubt that you are attractive because you very much are so Let's just say it's a human ethics thing and a moral thing and it doesn't sit well with me, he said, and she looked at him strangely. You humans are strange. You would let your morals prevent you from experiencing the greatest night of passion and pleasure you could ever dream of? 
because I can tell you right now, old man, that no woman female would ever compare to me, she said, giving him a look that positively set the little devil on his shoulder on fire, while making the little angel sat on the other shoulder's wings pop off. But the question still burned in his brain. Did she really want this, or was she doing it because he was, she believed it was expected of her in this role? He thought about asking her outright, but a part of him didn't want to hear the answer because it might compel him to take action that he might later would regret. No, Yelene, my mind is made up. You sleep in the bed alone, and I sleep on the couch alone. That's an order, he said. He definitely saw a look of confused disappointment flow through a brilliant blue eye. As you wish, Master, she said, putting a real emphasis on that last word, making it feel like a nail in his heart. It wasn't really truly a question of him raping her, really. It was obvious from her demeanour that she was willing to do it. But if there was one thing Monty was proud of his entire life, was his moral code. He absolutely did not break it. And in his crowd, you did not do that some sort of thing with someone you had power or authority over. He had plenty of chances while he was in the military with female soldiers of lower ranks than him. He'd always rebuffed their advances. To him, it was a simple thing. If it was equals, or nothing. If you took someone to your bed, you gave them your whole self. And you couldn't do, with someone, couldn't do that with someone you had power over. And then... He'd always be thinking, were you taking advantage of them or vice versa? Maybe it was just an old way of thinking, or maybe he was just old-fashioned, or maybe he was just old altogether. But it wasn't something he could ever bring himself to do. He'd always be wondering at the back of his mind, was this something they wanted to do, or something they only did because he wanted them to? And to him that was unacceptable. Maybe it was because he was not a selfish person. He wanted someone to want him as much as he wanted them, to love him, and to be loved in equal measure. To him, the equal part was the most important one, and he wasn't willing to bend on it. The big Yejuta woman went into the master bedroom alone and closed the door behind her. She didn't wish him a good night or even say a word to him. Was she disappointed or angry with him? Or both, maybe? God and Eerie thought that human women were confusing, but these bloody Yejuta were on a whole new level of it. Couldn't she understand that he was just do he hadn't been doing it just for himself? That it was her dignity and her honour that he was protecting here with his decision? That he didn't want her to feel just used or like some kind of thing to be used and thrown away with when you were done? She didn't deserve that at all. She was worth so much more than that. She deserved someone who actually would love her and care for her. Someone to call her own. Who would lavish, someone she could lavish her attentions on and who, who would do the same for her in equal measure. But even as he lay on the couch, tossing, turning, trying to get comfortable, he couldn't wonder, help but wonder if he'd made the right decision. He kept feeling like he'd hurt her feelings somehow like she thought that he'd sent her away because he didn't desire her, when it couldn't be further from the truth. She'd come here to find human love of her own, and he wonders if, her wor if his words had made her think that that hope was nothing more than a dream, that no human would look at her even when she offered herself to them, which hurt him, 
because as, he, as much as he'd liked to, he hated to admit it, the bloody Amazon-like alien had managed to carve a name into his heart and into his fucking loins with those bloody wrist blades of hers and the thought of her hurting him as well. But finally exhaustion claimed him and pulled him into a deep sleep. The next day was kind of awkward. Yelene barely spoke as she made breakfast and carried out the rest of the tasks he'd set her. When her time was up and she went to collect her cloak, but he stopped her. Unable to bear the silence any longer, he reached out and placed a hand on her huge arm and she flinched, bracing herself like that actually hurt, like he would strike her. But then maybe her race were just wired like that, to expect an attack at any moment and to be ready for it. Made him realise he didn't actually know about as much of them as he thought he did. Yelen, about last night, look, I really don't know what you were expecting me to do but I'm not one to take advantage of someone underneath my charge. It's not the way I'm wired. I don't want you thinking it was because you're not desirable to my kind or anything like that, because, to put it bluntly, you are. You're by far the most beautiful Yejuta I've seen, and any human man would be lucky to actually have you at his side. Look, it wasn't anything you did. Just call it my old-fashioned human moral code, okay? He said, and she looked at him oddly. She seemed pleased that he was complimenting her, but she still seemed conflicted, or maybe even a little angry. I'm glad you think so, but do you still believe your human ethics are strange? No Yejuta would have treated a servant as such. I believe that I have learned something in the last day. Something you humans are far too gentle for your own good. A servant is someone you have taken into your service by the strength of your will or by the strength of your victory over them. The whole point of a servant is they are there in your service, yours to command, to do your bidding, whatever that may be. It is not a question of ethics, it is a question of strength of your will and your dominance, and if you don't know a good thing when it's staring you in the face. But when we next cross blades, Uman, I will show you how we Yejuta do things, she said, giving him that dark smile of hers, and he sighed and palmed his face. And here was me feeling sorry for you because I thought I'd wronged you. Just when I thought I'd managed to teach you something about human respect and dignity. You go and show me that you haven't truly learned a thing, he said, and she made a humph noise and turned to go. Till next we meet, old Uman, be ready because I will not be caught off guard again. Next time it will be you who sweeps my floors, and I will teach you the true meaning of the word servant, she said, and with that... She was gone, leaving Monty with a bit of a cold pit of a feeling in his stomach. The next week was pretty quiet for Monty, but he had taken some of Yelene's words to heart and chosen not to let his guard down. It left him feeling kind of anxious, and he found himself playing over and over her words in his head over and over again. But Monty was one to never sit idle. He spent the week both training physically and mentally, going for runs, lifting improvised weights made of stone and sand. In the nights he was reading copies of the hunter reports of the local fauna, trying to guess what Yolene would try and rematch her challenge as. It took a bit, but he stumbled across two perfect candidates. Both played the Yejuta strength perfectly, but narrowing your focus was fool's folly, so he tried to be prepared for any eventuality, including a fishing rematch. He did glimpse Yelen a couple of times throughout the week, 
and every time she seemed to be watching him. Well, he wondered if it was his paranoia kicking back in, but he swore he saw her outside his house more than once, just watching. He shrugged it off and put it down to his bias, based on what he'd experienced at her kin's hands. Yelene wasn't a bad blood, and seemed to be a genuinely good person inside. Outspoken and very strong-willed, definitely. Arrogant as well, but still good all the same. Then, just like he predicted, the challenge came. He was outside tending his vegetable garden. He'd had the idea to turn his little large plot into behind his house into a vegetable plot, supply both him and his neighbours, plus the rest of the clan, with fresh vegetables, shortly after his house was built. And he wasn't exactly exercising or studying, he was out there tending. And it turned out there was something about this environment that made plants not only grow incredibly swift, but very large as well. They grew at six times the earth rate. Now, whether it was the soil, the water, the air, the sunlight, or a combination of all was debatable. He'd leave that speculation up to the brain barn in Yoshi's hive. But, like an Amazonian wraith, she just appeared in his garden while he was picking baskets of runner beans to be taken to Jack and Tick's. They were made sure to be given out among the clan. Oh, hey, Yelen. Didn't hear you come in. Just about to make some tea. Would you like some? He said, standing up, wiping his brow line below the knotted fabric over his head like a bandana. He saw her look him up and down curiously before a mandibles drew up in a smile. Well, old man, the day has come. I am finally ready for our rematch. And no thank you on the tea, she said with a hint of triumph in her voice. He smiled at her, raising one of his bushy eyebrows. Somehow he just couldn't resist teasing her. There was just something about her self-confidence and self-assuredness that always made him want to poke her both metaphorically and maybe even physically. Oh, I hope you give that good that maid's outfit a good clean then after last time. Can't have a dirty maid now in my home, can I? Though I did admit it did look good on you. Suited you a lot more than I thought it would. And you definitely have the legs for it. He said and her smile went dark and her eyes seemed to glimmer with challenge. We will see who is wearing a servant outfit at the end of this day, old Ooman. So do you accept my challenge or not? She said. Monty chuckled. You'll have to tell me what the challenge is first. Only a fool walks blindly into a challenge that you know nothing about or are unprepared for. He said, grinning at the obvious bow shot he landed with that one, at her jumping in at his fishing challenge without any idea what she was doing. She growled darkly, picking up on the obvious snipe. A hunting challenge, of course. But it'd be rather unfair of me to challenge you to a test of strength now, wouldn't it? Almost as unfair as challenging someone to a fishing contest when they've never been fishing before. She shot back, obviously still sore about it. Eh, I wasn't the one who proclaimed they couldn't possibly lose to a mere ooman in every form of hunting, now was I? He shot back and she growled, scowling at him. Very well, it will be a hunting contest. But unlike you, I will not limit the methods used to take down the intended prey. You may use any method you see fit. The winner will be the one who collected the most prey at the end and brought it to the finishing point, she said with a matter-of-fact voice. Okay, sounds fine. What's the prey? he asked, expecting her to say something ridiculous like fire tigers or mountain dragons. Shimmer lizards, he said, and he felt his mouth drop open. Seriously? We're going after the most easiest and most bountiful things on the planet? He said, and she smiled. There was something to that smile. She was up to something.
and you could smell it. All right, are we going right now then? He asked and she shook her head. Tomorrow, first thing, we will meet here and then head to the swamps. Our hunting period will be from our arrival till sunset. She said and he nodded. He was glad they were going, glad of that after all gardening. He didn't fancy jumping into a long trek followed by a hunt, followed by lugging all those bloody lizards back. There were billions of them. You could nuke the swamp and still wouldn't make a dent in the population of the things. Very well, Yelen. I'll see you here tomorrow, he said. And as she nodded and left with a wave and a flick of her hip that caused her armoured skirt to shimmy and give him a glimpse of her rear end as she turned. Was she trying to bait him with a glimpse of her? God, these Yuta women really were something else. After that was done, in his garden, he went inside and had a refreshing bath. He polished up his handguns and his bow. There was no point taking anything heavier when all they were hunting was shimmer lizards. One good hit from a pistol and they were toast. Hell, fire a bullet into the air on the swamp and it would probably kill three on the way up and another three on the way back down. So, after hours of trying to figure out her plan, Monty finally gave up and went to bed. He prepared enough gear for the hunt tomorrow and when he woke he had a sense of dark foreboding that he just couldn't shake. But after a couple of cups of coffee, he was ready to go, and he packed up. And even as he left the house, he saw Yelene waiting for him at the bottom of his garden. She looked every bit the Yajuta warrior huntress she was, dressed in her full battle armour complete with shoulder cannons, spears, smart discs and wrist blades. She looked like she was going to war. She even had her hunting mask on, and a huge net bag strung on her hip. Am I missing something? I thought we were hunting shimmer lizards, not fire tigers. Or were we going to war and nobody bothered to tell me? He asked. She turned to him so fast her preds cracked and arced around her head. It was obvious that she'd managed to sneak up on her again. Though he did have a bit of a habit of approaching her on her blind side. Ah, there you are, old woman. I was beginning to think that you aren't coming and you'd recognise taking me on again. She said... Nah, I'm rather forward, looking forward to seeing you in that cute little maid outfit again, lassie. Maybe I'll let you help with the gardening while wearing it, he said, nude her clicking her mandibles under her mask, and the growling was kind of obvious. We will see who is dressed as a servant at the end of this day, old man, she said, and with that they headed off towards the swamps. It was a fairly old walk to the swamp territory, which was on the edge of the plains, no sooner had they arrived than Monty began to see telltale signs of their prey moving through the thick trees at a distance. Their skin reminded him of Yejuta cloaking, it made the air around them shimmer thanks to their rainbow scales that they could adapt to merge into the background, like a kind of camouflage, hence their name. Ah, we are here. Well then, let the hunt begin, and we will meet back here at sunset, old woman, and we will see which of us has emerged the victor she said, and with that she activated her cloaking deck and vanished into the trees, only the bending branches marking her movements and progress. Monty lifted his pistols out of their holsters and attached their suppressors. Loud gunshots would frightened off the easily spooked creatures. He lifted his 9mm Browning high power and sighted in on the first one, which was sitting on a large fern leaf minding its own business, looking out at its little world and then everything went black as its bullet turned its small head inside out. It was the first of very many to fall to him that day. In fact, he killed so many of them, and he was no way he could carry them all back. 
So carrying what he could back, he headed out of the swamp, following his marks on the trees he'd left to guide him out. At the star point, he found Yelen waiting for him. He'd been a car go and carry these three sacks of dead lizards out of the swamp through the marsh ground. It was so soft and waterlogged, he dropped his three heavy sacks at her feet. It's kind of annoying to know that he'd killed far more than this, but this was all he was able to carry out. Ah, there you are, old man. I was beginning to think we were going to have to come and find you, Yelene said sarcastically as she hid this hole with a satisfied smirk. Yeah, sorry, it's kind of hard to carry all these lizards out. Kind of heavy and the ground's kind of soft. Didn't want to get bogged down. Kind of galling, actually, Lassie. Had to leave more than half of my actual hole behind, he said, and she cocked her head. Then you should have managed your time better, or found a way to position your catch at drop points throughout the territory for easy retrieval, she said. And that's when he clocked the six bags of dead lizards behind her. He knew he'd easily caught as that many as well, but that's when it hit him like a slap from a wet fish. The catch had been in the wording. It wasn't how many you could kill, it was how many you could bring back to the start point at the end. She'd beat him fair and square with clever wording. Monty's heart sank like a brick in his chest. What made it worse as he'd realised he'd figured it out. You should pay a little more attention to simple instructions, old woman. How did you manage to live this long? She asked. Ha, bloody high, a bloody great lizard. Let's just get these back to town, shall we? You can gloat along the way back, he said, hoisting his sacks up and heading towards the village. They dropped the lizards off at the butcher, surprising them with the size of the hall. They kept some back for themselves to eat. When they reached home, Yelene darted into her house and came back out carrying a box which she planted in his hands. This is for you. I will expect you at midday tomorrow wearing them and nothing more. Same deal as you gave me. Twenty-four hours. I will see you then, old woman. Do not be late. You shoot do not tolerate tardiness. She said, and with a final wave of farewell, she was gone. Monty's heart sank so far, it felt like he was trying to escape out of his arse at this point. When he got in, Monty placed the lizard in his prep area to be skinned and smoked. Then he returned to the box, feeling a real sense of dread as he began to open it. When he finally bit the bullet and opened it, his heart literally exploded in his chest. Inside was what he expected, and dreaded, and worse. There were four items. Two slipper-like shoes that were tight-looking. Not much more than slip-on leather shoes, really. They made him think of slave shoes, a point that father reinforced by the other two items. A leather loincloth and what appeared to be a collar. This seemed to be that this was Yelene's playback for the maid outfit he'd made her wear. Oh well, still been totally worth it to see her in it. She'd been super cute and flustered, Yelene was even cuter to be fair. He'd gotten used to it. Well, Montgomery Duffy never welched on a bet in his life. So, like the bloody fool he was for letting himself get him sucker-punched by a Juta, he'd suck it up and do it. The next day he stood at it looking at himself in the mirror. He felt like a bloody fool, and undoubtedly looked like one too. He'd lost the bet, so the next 24 hours he was hers to order around however she saw fit. He's probably going to have him doing some bloody pole dancing or on his knees begging her for things or something. Hopefully she wouldn't try and take it things too far and at least remember to allow him to keep his dignity. 
which, given his current outfit, he took a serious hit. Hopefully she'd realise that to someone like him, dignity and pride were vastly more important things, and wouldn't push him too far or too hard. But then, could he really make those demands of her? After all, he had made her dress up in a silly, sexy maid costume for the day. Though to be fair, he hadn't actually done anything weird to her, just made her clean and cook for him. Oh, and run a bath. So hopefully she'd remember that, though he wasn't betting on it. Monty pulled on a long hooded cloak that covered him from head to toe, just as she had. But despite the cloak and the very short walk from his home to hers, he felt incredibly self-conscious. Was this how she'd felt with the maid outfit on? He'd have to remember to apologise to her after this for over that. He'd only meant to teach her a lesson about arrogance, not genuinely embarrass her. But he felt the breeze cutting through the gaps in the cloak and hitting his skin, despite it not being a particularly cold day. No sooner had he knocked on the door than it swung open and revealed what tall one-eyed Jute female. She was dressed in her regular armour and he couldn't deny it. She did look good. She gave him a self-satisfied smile that he'd been inspecting. Ah, right on time, old woman. Now, before you come in, I want you to confirm for me that you at least follow my orders today, whatever they may be, correct? She said, and he cocked his head curiously. Well, yes, that's what I agreed to, lassie, but within reason, obviously. For example, there's no way I'm going to hurt anybody, even if you order me to, he said flatly. She nodded. Well, obviously, old woman, I would never order you to do something like that anyway. Do I seem like an honourless pork to you? If I had a problem with someone, I would fight my own battle, and it would be settled in an honour duel or a way in which the clan allowed. But just to confirm... You will honour my orders and serve me how I see fit, yes? She said. Monty sighed, getting that sinking feeling again. Yes, I will see serve you how you see fit, lassie, he said begrudgingly. He was already, she was already milking this and he could tell this was not going to be a fun day already. Her smile brightened strangely and she gestured for him to enter, which he did realising that this was the first time he'd actually seen inside her home since it had been done. It was surprisingly spartan. She hadn't exactly spent much time all the f- getting furniture as he did. And she did have some, but it was only much bigger versions of it to accommodate her size. It appeared like she'd chosen the designs he'd chosen for Miller to make him, and had chosen the very same ones. The first major difference that he noticed was the trophy wall that had polished skulls from her hunts on it. Surprisingly, this didn't freak him out as he'd kind of expected, what with her being a shooter and all. They all seemed to love to display the grim trophies of their hunts like this, though to be fair, given that human hunters like to place whole taxidermy heads on walls of the animals they killed, who was he to really judge them? You may hang your cloak on the hook there, and the first order for the entirety of today was you will not refer to me as Yelen or Lassie. You will dress me in a way befitting of my station. You will call me Mistress, and I will refer to you as Servant. If you forget it, even once, this will be downgraded to Slave. Is that understood? She said in a commanding tone. Monty grit his teeth. Yes, Mistress, he said with a slight growl to his voice. Oh boy, is this how, he be, how he'd made her feel when she'd made him call her master? Yet another thing to apologise, because after this, 
This felt miserable. Good. Glad to see you understand your place in things, servant. Now, come along and move your cloak. I have tasks for you to attend to, she said, watching him, and her eye never left him for a moment as he removed the cloak, basically revealing his naked body to her. He could feel it boring into him when he turned to face her and saw it wandering all over him as she licked her teeth, which sent a shiver down Monty's spine, but not a good one. It was like being sized up by a hungry tiger. Good servant, that is good. Hmm, it seems I fail to give you the credit you are due. Your body may be small by my standards, but it is in far better shape than I ever previously imagined. You truly are a fine-looking specimen of your species, and you wear those scars. Well, yes, I do believe you will do just nicely for what I have in mind. In fact, I look forward to your service today. It will be a pleasure to watch you work, she said in a rather salacious tone. Yes, mistress, thank you, mistress, Monty said, resisting the urge to grind his teeth to paste. He was proud that he still had all his originals and he wasn't going to let her get under his skin enough to change that. Most of the stuff she had him do was pretty basic, no worse than what he'd had her do. Cleaning stuff, scrubbing the floor on his hands and knees, fixing her meals, polishing her armour and weapons, though he had to admit polishing her trophies was rather disturbing. He was aware that she was always watching him. In fact, she rarely seemed to take her eye off him. Hell, felt like the eye of bloody Sauron following him around as he went about the task she'd set him. But the first warning flag he got the things were about to take a turn for the strange, and then for the worse came after she'd finished her evening meal, which she didn't allow him to join her for, which annoyed him because he'd basically insisted on her joining him, especially after she prepared the food. But no, she appeared she had no intention of doing him the same courtesy. She'd made him take his food at a smaller table near the door, and only after she'd finished. After he'd done the dishes and dried them, she ordered him to draw her a bath, and he did so. Though filling the massive metal tub took a lot longer than his own modest human-sized one. Good things all these houses had indoor plumbing or it would have taken for bloody ever. Though the boilers were wood-fired, so it did take a while to heat the water up. After he was finished, he called her to the bathroom, because unlike his house, her tub had to be part of the bathroom itself due to its size. When she turned to leave, she rounded on him. And where do you think you were going? I don't remember dismissing you, she said curtly. Uh, I figured you'd want privacy to just robe and bathe, mistress, Monty said, sounding surprised. Well, you thought wrong. You are here not to think, you are here to serve. Maybe our humans do things, but not how we Juta do things. Now, you will disrobe me, and then you will wash me, she said, and her blue eyes sparkled with delight at his obvious shock and discomfort as his mouth fell open. But what could he do? He couldn't refuse her, or he'd forfeit on a perfectly reasonable order. It wasn't like she was ordering him to hurt anybody. So it kind of fell into the realm of technically what he'd agreed to, even if it was strange and made him feel uncomfortable. He'd agreed to follow her orders. So hanging his head, he shuffled forward, knowing she was enjoying every second of this. He wondered if she was indeed doing this just to make him feel uncomfortable, or if this was something Yajuta servants were indeed made to do. Whatever it was, he took a deep breath and he raised his eyes, forcing himself to centre his head. He'd fought in fucking wars, for God's sake. He could have...
would not let her get to him or break him. She seemed curious by the war that was going on in his head, and she, he saw her staring at his eyes. He ignored it and stepped up, looking at her armour, trying to figure out how to remove it. He figured out her boots would be the obvious place to start, so he knelt down and lifted first one foot, pulled a, the huge boot free of a huge foot and placed it to one side. Her feet were huge and seemed to have claws rather than toenails. Incredibly hard not to let his eyes wander up those incredibly long legs of hers. But he focused on what he was doing. As the way this was going, he'd see it all soon enough anyway. He had to stay focused and he had to keep his composure. Once both her boots were off, he stood up. She turned her back for him to release her armour, which he found out actually came off by releasing a series of toggles at the rear. It was surprisingly heavy, despite being far lighter variant of what she'd worn on their hunt. He found himself marvelling at her strength again. Those muscles of hers were definitely not just for show. When he stood up from placing it down, he was prevented with a view that made his heart leap into his throat. Her bare back was presented to him. She was incredible. Her muscles were rippling. She looked like a true Amazon. Every inch of her looked like it had been carved from purest granite. She appeared to be wearing what looked like a binder rather than a bra, though he wasn't all that surprised. The weight of those things would bust a bra to pieces in a second flat. That's when Monty realised he was going to have to remove it as well. So reaching up, he untied the rather large leather straps and released it, feeling the thing of the weight of the things drag him forwards, and he bumped his chest against her back as she glanced over her shoulder and saw the edge of a dark smile cross her mandibles. And she chuckled, obviously knowing what had happened, but decided to use it as an opportunity to make him feel embarrassed. Hmm, my, my, aren't you bold, my servant? I did not expect that from an omen. Patience, you'll get to washing soon enough, she said, making Monty blush bright red. And his face burned and only got worse when not only did she laugh, but he realised he was going to have to remove next and he was painfully aware that she was aware of it too. Taking a deep breath, he stepped in, leaned up and hooked his thumbs into the edges of the thong like underwear. Just as he began to pull it down, she leaned forward, pulling him slightly off balance, and he caught himself before he crashed face first into her chiselled rear end. But oh boy, did he get a close-up of his life. He was kind of like coming face to face with the moon. All the blood in Monty's body surged to two places at once. One went bright red and the other tried to lift his loincloth to get a peek at what he was looking at. It seemed to very much like what it saw very much because it tried to positively reach out and touch it. As Monty recoiled enough, he saw her looking back, grinning at him. Enjoying the view, my servant. That colour looks good on you. You woman's change into such pretty colours, she said chuckling, which only made it worse. But Monty was determined not to let her get to him. But what she said next nearly blew his heart out of his damned chest. She stood up and turned around, which in itself made Monty's mouth drop open. She was truly breathtaking. She was a goddess made flesh, a true Amazonian warrior goddess. Her breasts, although large, were perfect for her size. Two dark orbs with two perfectly white nipples standing like two fifty caliber bullet tips on her chest. 
Under these she had abs that looked like a cobbled roadway leading down to her flared wide hips, and nestled between those tree-trunk-like thighs were two white lips tucked into the surrounding dark flesh, like a perfect white line of chalk on a blackboard. The mandibles drew up and into a rich, dark smile. Well now, I guess I don't have to ask if you like the view your mistress gave you. But I also found myself pleasantly surprised. I didn't imagine to find my woman servant is so blessed by Pyre. Obviously the goddess of the hunt is smiling on me this day, she said, watching Monty trying to hide himself under his hands and making her scowl. You will not try to cover yourself from your mistress's sight. You enjoyed the view you were given, so why should I not? She said, and Monty sighed. As much as he hated to admit it, she was right. He technically looked at her, and technically she hadn't said he could. So what right did he really have to deny her the same? So he moved his hands away, letting his men bust brim back to attention and lifting his loincloth back up to salute her. Yelene smiled again, but this time warmer. The smile actually seemed genuine. That's better. You humans are so reserved and hung up about your bodies and nakedness. You should not be ashamed of the blessings that the goddess gave you. you. certainly have no reasons to be ashamed of what she has blessed you with. And you have obviously worked hard to achieve it. Stand tall and be proud of how beautiful you are, she said. Monty was genuinely surprised at this. All he could do was mumble. Yes, mistress, feeling both flustered and embarrassed at it. No woman had ever truly paid that much attention to his naked or near-naked as might as well be body as she was right at this very moment, and it felt wonderful and awful all at the same time. It was so confusing, his feelings were swirling like crazy. It was wonderful because it was such a genuine compliment, but awful because it kind of felt forced and not offered. Not the compliment, but his nudity. After all, She'd chosen him to remove her clothes. He'd chosen to do no such thing. He'd essentially just made... She'd just essentially made him show her. Granted, he could have chosen not to look. That's where his feelings were beginning to swirl into a bit of a maelstrom. She climbed into the bath and it sank into the water with a contented sigh. She was obviously pleased with the temperature of the water as she voiced moments later. Ah, very well done, my servant. You've got the water just the way I like it. Nice and hot. It's like you were meant to serve a Yejuta. You obviously know us well, she said, sounding happy. Which, to surprise, actually made him feel a little happy. Even if the made-to-serve part knocked him a bit. But he just shrugged it off and clung on to the happiness part. I'm glad you're happy, mistress, he said. I will be happier when I am clean. Speaking of which, it's time for you to attend me. My products over there. I require you to wash my entire body very, very thoroughly, she said, smirking at him. And Monty felt his heart beginning doing somersaults in his chest again. She was essentially ordering him to touch her body all over, while that thought alone sent most of the blood that was left in his brain going south. He was not sure how he felt about this. But he was under orders and his honour compelled him to follow those orders, regardless of how he felt about it. So he stood up and walked over to the brown, blown glass bottles and gathered them all up. But he didn't see a flannel or a sponge or any form of scrubbing device anywhere. Um, I don't see a flannel here, 
he said. Oh, we don't use those things. We use our hands, so you will do the same. Just make sure you are very thorough, and start with my head, and I'll direct you from there, she said. Monty headed back to the bath, his monhart bobbing along, pointing his direction of travel like a kid pulling a parent along, and pointing at the thing they wanted. Yelen's eye never left it for a second, until he was literally knelt down next to the bath on a little stool that allowed him to reach her properly. Use the red bottle on my head and tendrils, or predlocks as you humans call them. The green bottle is for my normal skin, and the brown bottle is for more sensitive parts. Don't worry, I'll tell you when to use it. It is very difficult to get it to a lather, so you will have to be very, very vigorous, she said, her voice actually beginning to sound like a cross between a growl and a purr. Monty caught the correct bottle into his hands and lathered it before reaching out with shaking hands. Soon as his hands made contract with his predlocks, or tendrils as she'd called them, it felt like an electric shock ran through his hands and all the way up his arms. They were a lot softer than he actually imagined, and he ran his hands up and down each and every single one of them, feeling like he was milking them gently. And he saw her close her eyes and gently began to purr softly as he worked all over that soft, hot, alien flesh of hers. Monty moved around her head, finishing up with her predlocks. Now he began to work down over her head and immediately felt the difference in her skin texture. It was rougher. Not really a bad way, but he hesitantly slightly as he moved around to her face. It was only now that he noticed her eye patch was actually bolted onto her skull, and he couldn't imagine how much work that must have been or how much it must have hurt. He worked slowly around the patch and her other eye before very, very tenderly working over her mandibles. He couldn't believe how sharp each of those tusks were on the end of each one. The flesh between each one was surprisingly soft. She opened them and flared them to allow him to work on them. Once fully lathered up, he took a small bowl and used it to rinse the gathered water and soap suds off her head. Now it's time to work on her feet. So he moved down to the other side of the bath alongside his stool and the bottles, again selecting the right one, and leathered up his hands. He couldn't help but look up her body, letting his eyes drink in the body of the Amazonian goddess, hidden just below the surface of the water. As he reached her face, he found her watching him, with a salacious smile on her face. Enjoying the view, my woman servant? She purred. She lifted one of her incredibly long legs out of the water and offered her foot to him. It wasn't a rhetorical question, and the look in her sparkling eyes told her expected her an answer. Yes, mistress, very much, he said honestly. She was incredibly beautiful, and there was no point in denying it. You are not, she gave a soft, purry growl again. You are not the only one, my servant, she said. Now one thing Monty had always prided himself on was his massage skill, and he was very, very good at giving foot massages. A thing that Yelen found out very quickly as he began to lather her huge foot and squeezed it, sending jolts up her leg and making her eyes snap open in surprise. She went to pull her foot away, but he held on tight. "'What are you doing, my servant?' she exclaimed, but he smiled up at her sweetly under his bouncing moustache. Trust me, mistress, there's a lot of tension here, and I can fix that, he said. She growled at him, but relented. Very well, I'm trusting you. Do not disappoint me, Uman. 
she said, and Monty began to work on her foot, using his thumbs to squeeze it and roll outwards. And very soon that growly purr was back, and after finishing the one foot, he moved up her calf, which felt like it was made of cast fucking iron. It was incredible that that growling even got louder. Monty lifted her other foot out of the water, letting the first one sink back down to wash the lather off. And he did exactly the same thing to that leg, and her growling intensified. Once that was done, she sat up, raising the top half of her body from the water, and the water poured between her huge breasts like a waterfall, and it took his breath away. She gave him a deep, satisfied smirk. Not an actual smirk, but an actual smile this time. Time for you to work on my top half, she said in a deep purr. Monty nodded and just moved his stool, just in time for her to flick her head back and arch her back to really show off her ample chest. Monty couldn't help but have his breath taken away by her beauty again. Start with my shoulders and my back first, my servant, she said, and Monty nodded. And he noticed his hands were shaking again as he moved behind her and leaned forwards to reach her incredibly broad shoulders. They were like solid rock. His fingers barely sank into her flesh at all. Monty had never had a problem touching a woman before, but there was just something about her that utterly threw his senses for a loop. But then again, he'd never come across a woman like her before. He was used to strong women with what had been in the army and what not, but she was on a whole new level. It was both exciting and intimidating all at the same time, and he wasn't really sure about how he felt about her all, all in all. Sure he liked her and he was attracted to her. Hell, he'd either have to be gay or an idiot not to see how beautiful and obviously you could appreciate alien women, that was. But he could feel his head swirling with both uncertainty as well as some hope. This was an utterly new experience, and given his age, that was shocking to him, as by now he'd have thought he'd seen it all, though evidently not. But still... Monty began to work on her shoulders and her equally solid back. He used those well-honed massage skills to good effect to relieve some of the very obvious knots and he heard her both gasping and purring and growling away as he worked. Though, soon enough, he was finished and she turned and gripped his arm tightly, somewhat painfully, pulling him around to her front, nearly causing him to fall over in the process. "'Now do my front, servant!' and make sure to be thorough on my b- as you were on my back. I never knew mans had such magic hands. She growled deeply, leaning down so that her face was close to his. Monty felt her hot breath washing over his face, making his moustache bounce and shimmy. For some reason, Monty felt pangs of fear prickling and needling him, which was strange. But he nodded, and she let go over his arm. Monty lifted up his hands and realised his hands were shaking even worse than they were before. He was both nervous of messing up and not pleasing her. What was happening to him? He'd never felt like this in his life. It was like he expected her to beat or hurt him if he messed up. Even though he knew that really wasn't the case. But it was like the very thought of disappointing her was setting him on edge. And he really didn't like it at all. He began to work slowly on her front starting with her neck, before moved down her body cautiously. Avoiding her breasts, he washed her stomach, which made it felt like it was made of granite, though he could feel those steel band sets of muscles under the tough, rough skin, and it took his breath away, 
how just how strong she was. Mmm, now make sure you use the special soap for these, she said, squeezing her huge breasts towards him, making them bulge, and making her snow-white nipples point right at him. Monty slowly lathered up his shaking hands again, and then reached up and began to work the right one first. They were incredibly soft, but at the same time incredibly dense and heavy. He had to lift it with both hands as he noticed his finger sinking into her soft flesh. Yelene was full on purring like a huge lioness now. There was that deep and gravelly noise that seemed to ignite things inside Monty that he never even knew existed. It was like having your soul stroked with a velvet glove, and he had no idea how it was happening. He felt his mouth salivating when he noticed the huge white nipple bouncing round right in front of his face and it took every ounce of strength not to take it into his mouth and suck on it. But Monty was a man of honour and pure principle, and doing something like that to her without someone's wholehearted permission was an utterly egregious breach of trust and a betrayal that he would never do such a thing. To any living being, he'd sooner eat a bullet than to do that to another being. Monty was proud of the fact that he'd never once in his life broken these principles of his. He washed over her breast slowly, and soon enough the snow-white nipple was the last part left, and no sooner had the boiling hot, solid, bullet-like nub of feminine flesh found his fingers wrapped around it than Yelen grasped loudly and let out a growl that brought Monty back the, f- the fire in Monty's loins again. Mmm, those woman fingers are magic. I could get used to this. I should see if Tick and Jack will let you- me take you as my servant permanently. I can see now why some of my kind took your kind as slaves rather than kill you. Every Yejuta woman should have a woman male to serve her, she growled, and that made Monty balk instantly. He didn't know if she was trying to be alluring or just joking, but that comment hurt. Made him feel like she didn't feel he was worthy of equality, with her despite even mentioning Jack who was a human just like him. But he tried to ignore it but he still felt pangs of anger flickering his heart like flames. He finished working up on her breasts now, and then shuffled around in the bath so she was on her knees and lifted her body out of the water, leaning forward, so as to push out her perfectly sculpted rear end towards him. She looked over her shoulder at him. Time for you to wash my rear, and make sure you get in there nice and deep. I'll make sure you clean it with your tongue. She growled again, making Monty's soul burn and swirl again. Rear end had drawn his eyes over and over again, like a fleshy magnet. And now here he was being given a chance to touch it. Sure, it kind of felt demeaning, but that didn't stop him. He lathered up his hands with a special soap from the brown bottle and very firmly began to wash each of her buttocks in turn and it was every bit as firm as he thought it was, and she growled loudly when he did. Once the outside and backs of her thighs were done, she slowly, and having to use a fair amount of strength, he prized them apart, and began to wash the very sensitive flesh between them. Right there, buried in the flesh, was a snow-white puckered hole, blowing kisses at him, and very slowly began to swirl his finger over it, making it pulse faster and faster as he felt the soft, crinkly flesh under his fingertips. His finger was so slippery because of the soap that it somehow managed to grip it and actually sucked his finger into her body. 
He heard a gasp, and the growl she let out made his heart bounce like a ping-pong ball in his chest. "'Ah, that's it. Servant, right there. Don't you dare stop, or you'll regret it,' she roared. Monty felt his heart jump at the power in her voice, and it made him wonder if she was serious, or whether just the sensations were talking. But those tingles of fear were back, and he did as he was told and swirled the finger around inside her until she pulled forward of her own vocation. At this point, Monty very noticed the sweet and spicy smell had begun filling the air. It was permeating his body and making his senses very swimmy. Yelene turned around to face him, and her eye was lit like it was on fire. It was sparkling, and her mandibles were clicking. The front, now, she growled. So Monty washed his hands and then relathered them again, as he saw her part her thighs and made herself comfortable. Her snow-white lips parting to reveal her insides were just as snow-white as the tips of her lips. His hands were shaking even worse now as he felt like he was going to have a fit or something. The first thing that hit him was the heat. She was lava hot, and her softness was like a s- was the second. It was like running your fingers over the purest silk. Her lips swirled and sucked at his fingers as he slid them in between the hot feminine flesh, and the growl she let out was so pure and primal that it hit every primal instinct in Monty's brain. And so strong was it that it threatened to trigger his fight-or-flight response. He found her clitoris and it slipped right out from under his fleshy hood, right into his waiting fingers like a shy snake choosing to trust for the first time. Elan let her snarl, sending pulses of fear spearing through Monty's arousal and flatlining it. The fear of the pulse was so great that it pretty much chased all the muggy sensations that had been flooding his brain out like a fan blowing smoke out of a window. But Monty kept on doing, going dutifully until she grabbed his wrist painfully enough to make him yelp slightly in surprise as the pain and she pulled his hand from between her legs and she let go, looking at him with the fire burning in her eye. Get my towel and dry me off, servant, she ordered, and Monty stiffly got up to his feet and shuffled over to the towel rack, relieved. She, he lifted one of the towels off and she lifted one of her large feet out of the water and offered it to him. He dried it for her so she could step down onto the ground and then he worked his way up her entire body until each and every inch of her was dry. Once done, he replaced the towel and went to retrieve her clothing. No, leave it there. I will not be needing it. In fact, take your loincloth off. You won't be needing it, and it's not fair that you get to fully gaze upon your mistress, and she does not get the same in return. So take it off. I want you naked, she said, and Monty's heart pulsed. Granted, the loincloth effectively did really fuck all to hide anything, but as vulnerable as he felt with it, without it he would be utterly laid bare, and being made to do it rather than being asked felt worse. But what choice did he have? He'd agreed to obey any order she'd given that didn't require him to be violent or hurt someone. So he obeyed. His fingers shook as he undid the cords and let it fall away. Now he stood there as naked as the day he was born all those years ago. He could feel her eye roaming over him and could hear her clicking her mandibles and he felt a flush of shame forced his head down and his face burn. 
he had never felt ashamed and he had never felt ashamed being naked in front of a woman before in his entire life. He was proud of his body and took very good care of it. Much better. Now, come with me. It is time for you to properly serve your mistress as a good woman servant should, she said. And that she headed out of the room and into her bedroom. And Monty's heart was beginning to bounce in his chest with every step. He felt like a terrified tree teenager. As she stepped into her room, he saw that her large bed was covered in a covering of what looked like soft-looking animal furs. He then turned around and sat down on the large bed, crossing her long legs as she smirked at him. Come here, she said, and he did so, standing in front of her, fidgeting and playing with his hands nervously. He was feeling incredibly uncomfortable now. His heart was pounding, and he truly, truly hoping that she wasn't preparing to do what he thought she was going to do. Granted, there was no part of him that didn't find her attractive. He'd fully admitted that to himself by this point. She was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen in his life. She'd lit up every single sense of his. She was exotic, strong, incredibly beautiful. But he didn't want this. Not like this. This was not right. Role play was one thing, but there were clearly defined rules to that, and both parties were equal and able to call things off whenever they felt uncomfortable or unwilling to proceed. He was hoping that she would see this, as well as his very obvious discomfort here, and put a stop to it. On your knees, woman, she ordered, and Monty glanced up at her and saw the fire sparkling in her eyes. He sighed. Yelen, listen, I... he began, but a hand snapped up to cut him off. That's mistress to you, slave, she said, making good on her threat to verbally demote him from his servant to slave as she didn't call her mistress. Mistress, I... he began, and again she cut him off. I don't remember giving you permission to speak, slave, and from now on you will not speak unless given permission to first. Now on your knees, she growled. And Monty's heart sunk, but he was honour bound, and while every part of him wanted to protest and tell her she was taking this shit way too far, but he'd given her his word, and just like she had when she had served him, she'd obeyed every command he'd given without fail, so now it was his turn to reciprocate. He just never imagined that she would take things this far, or he'd have never agreed, or even made the bloody bet in the first place. But then he guessed this was some part his fault too, because essentially he'd given her free reign, because he'd agreed to follow any command no matter what it was, and now that his honour demanded that he make good on that. So he did as he was told. He slowly and stiffly got down on his knees and knelt before her. That's better, slave. This is how woman slave should be, at their mistress's feet. Now, speaking of feet... She said, and she lifted her huge foot off and hovered it right in front of his face. You will kiss my feet, slave, and I want to feel that tongue of yours between my toes. You are to prove to me that you are both obedient now, and you are proud of your cleaning job, and you will not stop until I command it, she said with a grin on her mandibles, and Monty's heart sunk so far that it was hanging out of his arse. But again his honour burned bright and with shaking hands he reached up and took hold of it, and began to kiss her huge foot. Yelen growled and purred as Monty's lips and tongue worked all over each of her feet in turn, and after what felt like forever, she commanded him to stop, 
and she pulled her feet from his hands and placed them back on the floor again, and then shimmied forward so that she was sat on the edge of the bed. "'You are really good with that tongue of yours, slave, and I have heard whispers that have gotten me curious. I'm going to make better use of that tongue of yours. You are going to service both of my holes with it, and you will not stop until I command it. Do you understand?' She said, and Monty felt a rush of excitement that mixed with shame. He had dreamed of doing this for her, but now that he was here, on his knees being forced to, he felt both ashamed and sick to his stomach, but he still nodded. Yes, mistress, he said quietly, and you'll end purred. Good slave, and if you do a good job, your mistress will reward you with something your fragile Uma mind will barely comprehend. She said, and with that she spread her wide light her legs wide and revealed a dripping wet snow-white womanhood to him. She reached out and took hold of his head, painfully gripping his hair between her fingers and yanking his head forward in between her huge thighs. Now, get to work and don't forget to do both, she growled, pushing his face into her sopping wet womanhood, nearly cutting off his ear as she trapped his nose and mouth between her lips. And if he couldn't have seen it coming, he wouldn't have been able to move in time. Normally, Monty would have utterly relished the chance to do this. Hell, if she'd been good enough to actually and simply ask him to do it, he'd have most likely jumped at the chance with glee and relish. Because, as infuriating as she could be, he'd actually realised he genuinely began to care deeply about this incredible woman. But given the belittling he'd endured... And now being forced like this, he felt utterly terrible. But he dutifully did as he was ordered and pushed his tongue into her hot, soft, wet, feminine flesh and made her growl and scream as his tongue squirmed and caressed between her soft, fleshy lips. The fact that she had the sweetest taste that he'd ever tasted only seemed to actually make things worse. It's like his senses were losing their definition. It was like right was wrong and they were muddling up in his head and with every lick that he took, and with every glob of nectar that he swallowed, her inner lips painted his face with said thick lectar, and soaked his moustache, making it thick and heavy. Next hole, Yelen roared and pushed Monty's head roughly down towards her pulsing anus, and dutifully Monty began licking, and very quickly her anus swallowed his tongue just like a woman had had, and the noises Yelen began to make were truly incredible and under any other circumstance Monty would have been truly proud of his work. But he just wasn't. He just felt sick to his stomach. The orgasm that tore through Lielen caused her to forget to call him slave, and she screamed out his real name so loud that it actually hurt his ears, despite his head being clamped painfully between those tree-trunk-like thighs. And once the waves of pleasure subsided and she crashed back down, true to his word, Monty didn't stop licking because he hadn't been told to. But that's soon enough she pushed his head away. That's enough, slave. You did a very good job. It pleases your mistress to know that you know your place, and that look suits you. It's also good to know that you know how to serve, and you now show your mistress is true to her word. I will now reward you, she said. And no sooner had she finished speaking that she struck like lightning. So quickly, Monty very nearly punched out in fear and surprise. But she grabbed him and threw him onto the bed, pinning him down by the shoulders and placing her weight on top of him. Leaning close, she opened her mandibles and her tongue shot out of her mouth and licked along his jawline like a hot snake made of liquid. 
and it ran over his jaw and neck. Mmm, you look as good as you taste, slave. I have dreamed about this for days. And now it is finally time for me to make that dream a reality. I'm going to reward your loyal service and obedience, but this is as much as a reward for, to myself for the patience I have shown you. You have no idea how hard it has been to restrain myself and not just tear your clothes from your, my f from your flesh and simply take what I want. Now I am going to take what I want and I'm going to enjoy watching you squirm and writhe as you truly finally see the truth. She growled, nipping, nipping at his neck and shoulder with the teeth and her mandibles. Monty's heart was going a mile a minute and he was all over the place. His emotions were like a storm in his head. He'd never in a million years dared to imagine something like this could happen to him. It hit him like a cold hard slap. He didn't want it. He didn't want this, not at all. He tried to speak, but it was like his voice was being lost in a storm. Not like this. Please, not like this. I don't want this, he tried to say, but his voice was droned out by a growling want. Don't worry, my slave. You're going to enjoy this, I promise. She snarled, and before he had a chance to say another word, she reached down, seized his manhood, and with a movement so swift he barely had a chance to even register it, she plunged him to his hilt in her lava-hot and silky depths. Normally he would have been in heaven, would have felt so utterly blessed to be the object of this incredible goddess-like woman's desires, but right at that very moment he just felt like a piece of meat. It was like his mind had just retreated into itself. It was like he was sitting there watching it happen to someone else. Yelen roared with pleasure as his manhood buried itself inside her and hit all the right spots. She screamed in ecstasy and she began to thrust her hips hard down on his, burying him to the hilt over and over again. And Monty knew that he should have been in heaven, but it was like someone had just hit mute on a TV remote. It was like all the sensations trying to make it to his brain had just been shut off. He didn't see, feel a single thing. Not one. Yelene's motions was someone in absolute heaven. She was going utterly wild on his dick bouncing on him like he was a car suspension spring jammed in his hips. But now even her voice was gone. Monty's mind had just retreated so far into himself. He felt like a small child sat alone in their room. He had no idea if he even orgasmed or not, but it was evident by the way that Ilyan reared up and her mandibles flared that she did, before she crashed down on him and clung to him, kissing him and nuzzling him. He just lay there, as still as a statue, Eventually she lay down next to him and placed her head on his shoulder and chest, gripping him tightly, and promptly fell fast asleep. And that's when the sensation began to break back through that barrier that Monty had erected inside his mind. And the first thing was the heat and the wetness of the tears streaming down his face that made it through. The last time Monty had cried was when he'd lost a dear, dear friend in combat. And at that point he'd sworn to himself that no matter what happened to him, he would never shed another tear again. So this made him feel even worse, as he had broken that promise to himself. He felt used, ashamed, defiled, worthless. He didn't sleep a single wink the entire night, simply stared at a single spot on the ceiling, and he tried to justify what had happened to him inside his mind. He over and over and over again 
to his disgust, he found himself making excuses for what she'd just done, and he got angrier and angrier and more and more hurt with each time. Eventually the sun came back up, and Yelene stretched and stirred. She purred softly and nipped at his chest with her mandibles, and Monty felt the needling jolts as she nipped him. I hope you slept as well as I did, my slave. You were amazing last night, I must say. I've never imagined a mere ooman would ever leave me feeling sore. Now, come, I am starving, and if I am hungry, you must be ravenous, she said, and Monty got up. The rest of the morning, Monty was on autopilot. He never spoke a word unless directly asked him a question that required an answer. He noticed that Yelene was beginning to sense that something was very wrong, and more than once he noticed her looking at him with a concerned look in her eye, but he simply ignored it. Then, finally, mercifully, midday came, and his service was over. Monty headed over to collect his cloak from the hook by the door, and Yelene grabbed his arm to stop him. Monty wrenched his arm from her grasp. Don't fucking touch me! Don't you fucking dare touch me! He snarled in a voice so deep and menacing it made Yelene jump back at him and jump back in surprise and look at him in amazement. Monty, what's wrong with you? She asked with confusion written all over her pretty features. He turned and glared at her, his anger threatening to break free like a wild animal in his chest. He was struggling to hold the reins off because he knew if he let go he would try to kill her. He forced his anger into the deepest, darkest part of his mind and snapped shackle shut on it. When his voice finally came it was as cold as ice and his Scottish accent really broke out which only really happened when he was seriously upset. You. I almost believed. I so very almost believed that you, Yajuta, were honourable. But you ruined that for me. I liked you, Yelene. I respected you. I trusted you. But you betrayed me on all fronts. You took my own honour and used it against me. And now that it sickens me to think that I could ever be so fucking stupid to fall in love with someone who so obviously has zero respect for me or my species. You've proven to me that I'm an old stupid fool who dared to dream that maybe, just maybe, you were different. But what you did to me last night has proven to me that you don't care a single shit about me or my feelings. How could you? I'm just a stupid, lowly little ooman, right, lassie? He said in a voice so cold he swear he could see ice plumes coming from it. Yelene looked utterly stunned and shocked and hurt all at once. What? She exclaimed. Not once, not once did it fucking occur to you that I did not want to do any of that stuff with you. Not once did you even pause to think for the briefest shadow of a single second. Did you even stop to think how it would make me feel to be used like that? Or how treating me or my body like it's your personal property is the biggest violation of everything that makes me human? No, you just fucking steamrolled right through it. I expected you to embarrass me. After all, I made you wear that stupid fucking maid outfit. But I never imagined in a million years you'd have so little respect for me or my feelings that you would do that to me without my permission or my consent. But I realised that in a way I'm equally at fault by being stupid enough not to set it out in the rules at the beginning of all of this. But stupid me, eh? I actually believed you'd be smart enough and honourable enough to realise that it wasn't okay. Not even fucking close to it. But 
I pride myself on never once having broken my word in over 60 years. When I give it, it is my bond of honour. So I honoured it when you gave me those commands. But what hurt the most, absolute worst, when I tried to tell you that I wasn't comfortable and that wasn't right, you silenced me. And you made it even worse by absolutely ignoring me, making me feel like I was meant absolutely nothing to you. You did what you wanted to me, and you used my body in a way that pleased you without a single thought for how it made me feel. Even stopped me, stopped to ask me if I even wanted to. None of it meant anything to you. You used me like I was nothing more than meat, worth less than one of those lizards we killed, not a living, breathing, sentient being with thoughts and feelings and a soul of my very own. But I have fulfilled my obligations to you, to the letter. Let it be no man be said by any woman, alien, or so anything else that Montgomery Duffy is not a man of his word and will keep it even when it breaks his heart clean in two and crushes his soul to dust. Now, I am done, and I am leaving. As of this moment, our friendship is over. I never wish to see you or speak to you ever again. Do not darken my door again, because I certainly won't be darkening yours. As I am partially responsible for this, I will not tell Jack or Tick what you have done to me, as I am not a man to runs to tell tales. But do not come near me again, or I will not be held responsible for my actions. Live well, ye then. I hope that one day you finally see that you'd finally destroyed a man who clung on to hope, that he could have someone to love and to give his everything to or for for so very long. But you've stolen that from me like everything else, and I have nothing now, no reason left to live. But thank you for that. You've made everything so clear for me now. He said, and before Yelene could even breathe again, he was gone. Monty felt his heart racing with every step he took. He needed to get out to there. He needed to be as far away from people as he possibly could. So he ran into his house, threw a load of gear into his bag, including his tent and guns, and headed out into the forest. As he was going, he saw Yelene banging on his door. He so very nearly pulled the trigger on the rifle he levelled on her head from where he was. But something made him lower it. It was like a hand very gently pushed the barrel towards the ground. Come to me, a voice softer than silk whispered in his ear. Just when he was beginning to think as he was hallucinating, a small hummingbird flew into his view, landed on the barrel of the gun, and suddenly it felt like it weighed a ton, and he fully lowered it. And then, like he was in a trance, he began to follow the little bird into the forest. The little bird led him for hours through the forest, in fact, it led him right the way back to where he'd been gone fishing. The lake was silent, absolutely still. The little bird circled him and then flew off across the lake, not looking back for him to follow, just taking off like a bullet. And that's when, with a flicker, the bird began to grow, and suddenly it wasn't a hummingbird anymore, it was a raven. And what wasn't the most amazing part... It was the woman sat on the jet-black horse that was actually stood on the water that was. Monty's mouth dropped open as the snorting horse walked forward until it was right in front of him. Greetings, young Montgomery. I do believe me and you need to speak, because I sense that you have a choice you need to make, and I'm here to help you make it. The beautiful human woman with jet-black hair and dark eyes said, Who are you? 
Monty stammered, and the woman giggled softly. Oh, my, where are my manners? My name is Marcia. Now, come, let us ride together, because you have a decision to make, and I'm going to help you make it, she said, and Monty's heart froze up. How the hell did she know what he was planning? But without even thinking, he took her hand, and with the strength that made your lens look like fuck all, she threw him onto the back of the horse. Before you could even say a word, she began to gallop over the water like it was made of concrete. Then, as if reading his thoughts, Marcher turned and looked over his shoulder and smiled at him. Oh, and before you say anything, don't worry about the source of this choice. A friend of mine is dealing with her right now, she said. Yelen began to continue to hammer on Monty's door with her fists. Monty! Monty, please talk to me! she yelled. Her hearts were bouncing and her guts were squirming like it was filled with oil eels. Finally her fear got the better of her and she put a huge foot right through the door. She burst into the house and she found it empty and that's when she realised all of his stuff was gone. Her heart froze. Oh no. Oh Pia, where is he? Oh, please don't let him do what I think he's going to do. I've got to stop him, Yelene said, her heart beginning to hammer again in her chest. Why do you care? A voice said suddenly, and Yelene whirled around and found no one. Who said that? Show yourself! Yelene snarled, dropping into a hunting stance and grabbing her hunting mask from her belt, clicking it onto her face, cycling through the spectrums. But she saw nothing. Why are you so fearful? The voice said, and Yelene spun around again, still nothing. Where are you? Answer me! Yelene snarled. Why should I? You're not answering me. So I ask you again. Why do you care what happens to the woman? The voice said. The mere mention of Monty, even not by name, and in a third person, brought all that fear crashing back into her again. Monty! Oh shit! Monty, I've got to find him! She yelled and burst out of the house. Immediately her visor picked up the tracks and she began to run at full tilt after him until she was deep into the forest. And that's when everything went spooky. Like they'd just been wiped away, the tracks vanished. She ran in a circle trying to pick them up again, but there was nothing. In fact, all the paths were gone. In fact, it just didn't look like forest that she'd been in before. The trees were all wrong. Elaine began to panic. Not because she was lost, but because she wouldn't reach him in time. Why do you fear so? The voice from nowhere asked. Who are you? Yelena yelled. Answer me, and I'll answer you. So I'll ask you again. Why do you fear so? Because I have to find Monty. He's going to do something stupid and I've got to stop him. Yelena asked, a heart, yelled a hard note of panic coursing through her voice. Why do you care? The voice asked. But, but Because it's my fault. I wronged him and I've got to make it right. Yelene yelled at the air as she searched desperately for a sign of either the speaker or where Monty had gone. So, why do you care? He's just an old man. Why does it matter to you if he lives or dies? The voice asked. Be be because it's my fault. I wronged him in the most vile, horrible way, and I didn't even realise it. I hurt him so horribly, and I was too stupid and porking selfish to fucking see it. I cannot let him die for my selfish stupidity. 
If anyone deserves to die, it is me, Yelen yelled. Suddenly a flash framed her from behind and she whirled around. An instant she was grabbed by the throat and lifted off her feet by something so strong it lifted her like she weighed nothing. There was enough grip that it was incredibly painful, but somehow she could still breathe. So, porking true daughter of mine, if someone dies this day, it should indeed be you, the voice said. Yelene's mandibles dropped open and she found herself staring into the very face of a very angry-looking goddess who was standing twelve over twelve feet tall and made her look like a cub. You have disgraced this place. You have disgraced these good people. You have disgraced everything that you swore to protect when you came here. You have disgraced the honour of your own people. You have disgraced the very people who took you in and called you sister. And most of all, you have disgraced both yourself and me. But the worst thing of all is you have disgraced that honourable Uman. Pyre roared in a voice so loud it rolled like thunder in every direction as she brought her close to her mandibles. Yelene went limp in her grip and quit struggling. Yes, I have. I'm a disgrace to the name Yejuta. I am a bad blood for what I have done. I have disgraced all that you have said and so much more. I do not deserve my life or to find any peace in the afterlife. But I humbly throw yourself on your, myself on your mercy, great Pyre. Please let me find Montgomery Duffy, the woman that I have disgraced. I cannot let him die. Please, Lady Pyre, please, she said in a voice begging. Why? Why should you get to take his choice from him yet again? You took it from him once, and you tore his very heart from his chest in doing so. You took the heart of an honourable man who fell in love with you and pissed all over it with what you did to him. You treated him with utter contempt, belittled him and his species, betrayed him and his honour, and worse of all, you forced him against his will to mate with you. Explain to me again why I should grant you any form of mercy? Pius snarled. Yelene began to cry with what actually seemed to surprise Pyre. Because I porked up. But Monty does not deserve to pay for it. I never meant to hurt him or belittle him. I got far too into the role I was playing. I began to enjoy it too much. It made me feel good. It made me feel powerful. I never even considered how it was making him feel. I wanted to get back at him for what he made me do. He made me parade around in that stupid Ooman maid uniform. But I should have truly seen how lucky I was that I lost such a beautiful and honourable man such as he. He had every opportunity to take anything he wanted from me, and the more I saw him looking at me the way he did, the more I actually began to like it. But it hurt when he didn't take what I felt like he was so, I was so blatantly offering him. I never even stopped to consider it wasn't because he didn't find me attractive enough to mate with, but because of his honour forbade him from doing it. Because, I was in a, because he was in a position of power. And to his species that is something despicable, akin to mate-forcing. I never stopped to consider this. So I decided that when I beat him, I would do just that to him to show him how powerful I was. But also I could show him that I had chosen him. That he was the most beautiful male to me. That I had fallen in love with him. I never even thought that he might not want it. I honestly didn't care. 
I was just so focused on making him see me as a powerful woman who would be worthy of him. But it's only when he spoke to me at the end that I realised the truth of what I had done. I forced him against his will to mate with me. I dishonoured and hurt him in the most despicable way of all. And I was too selfish to see the truth. That, this wonderful, beautiful, strong man, is worth so much more than me. I'm not even worthy to breathe the same air as him, let alone to be the one in honour of enjoying his beautiful body, or even his company. But please, Pyre, please, I will take my eternity in the pit of fire. I will burn forever in hellfire in the pit willingly. I will walk forever alone, lost in the void. Hell, I'll literally walk in there myself. Just let me send, save Monty. I love him, and even though I don't deserve to breathe the same air as him, but this world, this clan, these people, they need him. His light should not be taken from this place, from these people, because of my stupid, blind selfishness. Please, mighty Pyre, please, I beg of you, let me save him. Elaine yelled. Pyre stood straight upright and turned her head to look over her shoulder. Did you get all that, Marcher? She said, and Elaine looked confused as the forest began to dissolve like it was made of smoke. And suddenly they were at the lake that she and Monty had been fishing at. Only there was a horse standing on the water. And on the back of the horse was Monty. And Yelena's mandibles dropped open in shock. Yeah, we heard it all. And I think it's all clear. You can let her down. And we'll see if she's as good as her word. Marcher said, but in a cold voice. Pyre put Yelena down on the ground. And Marcher lifted Monty down from the horse and set him on the pebbled shore. He looked up at March and she nodded. So he walked over to them and looked at Yelene. Yelene dropped instantly to her knees before him and didn't even hesitate. Please, Monty, please, I beg of you, don't die. Don't leave these good people. They need you and you deserve to live free and happy like you always wanted. If anyone needs to pay for this, it's me. I did this, all of it. My pride and selfishness got the better of me and I made the biggest mistake of my life with what I did to you. I was so convinced that I could show you how worthy I was of you by showing you how strong of a mistress I was. I never even stopped to think that I was the exact opposite of what you would want or even deserve. You deserve someone who loves you for you, for who you are, someone who revels in every single moment they get to spend with you. But the worst thing was I took you without your permission. I treated you like you belonged to me, and it never even crossed my mind to even think to ask if you really wanted me. I was just so convinced that you wanted me because of the way your body was responding to seeing me. I I was selfish enough to convince myself that I was actually do, in part doing it for you, giving you what you wanted, but you were too proud to say. I can see now how utterly porking stupid and selfish that was. It was my own porking fancy that I was wrapped up in. Couldn't even see how I was hurting you. And even though it was the most beautiful experience of my life being with you, it was a stolen one. One that I didn't deserve at all. The one who wins your heart in all its glory is the only one who deserves you, and that's not me. So please, Monty, please, don't die. Don't go away and leave these people who love you and care for you. Let me take your place. I will gladly trade my life for yours. Please, Yelene begged. 
For a good long time, Monty was silent, and then he looked up at Pia. Is it she truly going to die? he asked, and Pia nodded. She waved her hand, and a gate appeared. Simply say the word, and her life will be forfeit for what she has done. She has accepted the punishment for her crimes against you, and her people as well. She will spend eternity as a lost, disgraced soul in the void, she said coldly, and Yelene never even flinched at hearing this. Monty blew out a held breath, and then suddenly his hands hooked under her arms and heaved her up to her feet. Get up, you big galoot, he said, and then he turned to Pyre. Put that shit away, will you? I'm not the sort of man who would ever condemn a woman to eternity of hell for making a mistake, no matter how big it is. And thanks to that little thing Marcher put in my head, I heard every truth in every word, and I saw her true feelings. She loves me with her entire heart, and what sort of man would I be if I let her march that big chiselled of arse of hers into that pit for me, and just stood there and watched, knowing I'd condemned someone to an eternity of misery and suffering without even raising a hand to stop it, Monty said. Pius smiled, and with a swish of her hand it vanished, but then she turned to Monty. What she has done makes her a bad blood, Monty. She needs to pay for it. She needs to regain her honour. Or when she dies, that will still be her fate. Regardless, my laws are absolute on this for a reason. Only those who have lived by my principles and with honour are worthy of my rewards at the end of their life. There are no bad bloods in the eternal hunt. And right now, she has no place among us, she said. I figured you'd say something like that. And I think I know just the way to fix it he said, and to the surprise of both Yelene and Pyre, he grabbed Yelene's dreads and yanked hard enough to pull her down and clamped her face and kissed her hard. And I think being my wife for the rest of my life and putting up with my stubborn old human arse for the rest of my life should be fucking punishment enough for two of your lifetimes, he said, releasing the utterly stunned Yejuda woman. Both Pyre and Marcha both roared in laughter and both goddesses slapped him on the shoulders and then looked at Yelene, who was standing there in true shock with her mandibles hanging open. So what say you, daughter? Is this acceptable? You took from him his dignity, his honour, and his chastity. You wronged him grievously, and now this man proves to you the honour and depth of his heart. He gives you a chance, a chance to regain that honour by putting your money where your mouth is. If you say you love him, he now offers you the chance to prove it. So, will you? she said. Yelene threw her arms around Monty and sobbed her heart out. I will, I will. Oh, thank you, Monty, thank you. I will serve you as your loyal and loving wife for the rest of my life, I swear it to you, she yelled in pure happiness. Oh, shush now, you wee Jessie. It's not a wife's job to serve her husband. It's a wife's job just to love him and prop him up, as he does for her. He said, and Pyre lifted Yelene's chin and leaned down close, and with a very menacing voice spoke to her. You have been given a chance that not even I foresaw. Never, ever doubt the power of Uman love, or the Uman heart, ever again. Or, I will see you pay for it. This is your chance to earn your place in eternity. Do not squander it, daughter, she said, and before Yelene could even respond, the pair of them vanished and both Monty and Yelene found themselves standing alone in her home. 
Elaine spent every single day for the next two weeks apologising to Monty till he was sick to the back teeth of it. But he let her do it because he knew she needed to. They also didn't make love the entirety of that time. He still needed to get his head straight after what had happened. Elaine never pushed it at all. In fact, he could see that she was worried to lay a hand on him that he didn't approve of. In the end, he snapped. It was too much for him to bear. His own wife too terrified to touch her husband. And that was not something he could bear to see. To see such a beautiful, powerful woman scared of the very thing she craved and loved. It tore him in two, and he had to act. They were stood in the kitchen, cleaning up after dinner. She was washing the dishes, and he was drying. They had moved in together into her house, as it was the bigger of the two, to support her. And his place only had a... She had to get a new door. In fact, they were planning on joining the two places together to make one big house. As he watched, Elaine washing dishes, he could help but find his eyes being drawn to her exquisite rear end, which was shimmying left and right as she worked. So silently, he slid closer and closer till he was stood right behind her. Then he ran his hands right up under her skirt and over those two glorious orbs of chiselled yajuta feminine flesh, and she stiffened instantly. My, my, my love? She stammered, surprised, and looking back at over him and over her shoulder. Shh, now, lassie, just let me serve you, he said softly, pulling down her underwear, down her thighs till gravity took over and they fell to the floor. Serve me? She stammered, the surprise and obvious fear in her voice. Bend forward a little, he said in a commanding voice, and she did so. Still confused right up until she felt his hot, slimy tongue run right up over her snow-white anus, and she squealed as he licked and wormed his tongue inside her, tasting every ripple of super-sensitive white flesh. She began to moan and squeal and squirm as his tongue began to probe and swirl very swiftly, dripping wet, and he could feel her hot nectar dripping down onto his neck. He switched holes, moving his mouth until it latched onto her snow-white lower lips, in a deep kiss, he buried his tongue deep as it would go right up inside her, making her howl as he used his fingers to rub her clit as his tongue massaged her G-spot. Her orgasm tore out of nowhere like an explosion, like a mini-nuke going off in her belly, and she roared his name to the heavens. Before she even had a chance to catch her breath, Monty stood up and freed his aching manhood from his trousers, and with one slick movement he hilted it right up inside her, making her roar with pleasure. She roared over and over again. Monty was in pure heaven as he felt her hot snow-white flesh grabbing him and trying to suck him into her very womb. Monty gripped her beautiful hips and began to thrust deep, fast and hard, making his tip kiss her womb over and over again. His thighs slapped against her ass as her flesh absorbed the impact. Together they reached pure unison. Their pure purpose was clear, and together they roared in pure ecstasy as he filled her womb to the utter brim with his seed, and her bodice he desperately milked every single drop it could get from him. Elaine moved so fast he barely saw her move. She grabbed him and clamped his head in her mandibles and pushed her tongue nearly down his throat. When he finally broke, he stroked her beautiful face, and she leaned into his hand. There we are, my big loving lassie. We're even. You took me without getting my permission first, and now I've tasted and taken you without getting yours first. So we're even. From this point on, I never ever want you to be scared to touch me ever again. You're my wife, 
and I your husband. I am yours and you are mine. We belong to one another. If I don't want you or I'm too tired, I'll tell you. All I've ever asked is that you respect me enough to care about how I feel. And I can see that's true now, so I trust you. So from now on, don't ever be scared to put your big hands on me, okay? He said. Yelene broke down sobbing. The pair of them sat on the floor, with him cradling his big wife's head in his arms, rubbing her dreads tenderly as she thanked him over and over again for being the most wonderful male she'd ever met and for understanding her so perfectly. A couple of years later, Yoshi Saives made the breakthrough in epic proportion. They found a way of actually reversing the human ageing process. Monty still remembered the look on Yelene's face the day he walked back into their now-conjoined home, which was a godsend as how big she damn was, and how heavy with their cubs growing inside her. Her mandibles dropped open as what she saw was a twenty-something Monty walking in. God, he was glad of the twenty-something stamina that night. God pregnant, you Judah girls were insatiable. It also served him well when Jack Mason asked him to join the Guardian Corps as a sergeant major, responsible for drilling and training the new recruits, a position he happily and proudly took up, and it gave him such pride on the day he saw those first batch of hunters pass out from under his command, seeing their pride as they stood rapt attention in their dress uniforms before their families and their section commander, and Tick Elif Mason, who told them that they were now the pride of Clan Mason, and wherever they go they carried the pride and strength of the whole clan with them. His pride only grew when one stood among them to rapt attention before her and his was Yelene's first four sons. He was equally proud that on the day their first and only daughter was accepted as a newly built seeker temple and was taken for training by Jack Mason himself to become a seeker of truth. And the soon proud parents were stood in the crowd to watch the joining ceremony where Jack and the other soul knights surrounded her and recited the clan pledge followed by the Seekers' Pledge to welcome her into their ranks. And then before the crowd, Sally, named for Monty's mother, Duffy performed her first soul-summoning, to his utter surprise, managed to summon the soul of his long-dead mother, who promptly walked right up to her and told her how proud she was of her and all her grandchildren, and that she, of all of them, was not only the pride of Clan Mason, but of Clan Duffy as well, and that she would be watching over them. All of them. Other than that, what Yelene had seen, Monty had never seen, never cried in front of people before, but the sight of his wee little mother cradling the head of his big beautiful daughter in her arms and telling her that she was her pride was too much for the grizzled sergeant major, and pride and tears flowed freely. The years went on, and the family grew. Twenty sons and one daughter all of which were on his bedside that day when it finally came, and Pia called him, and he stood watching his beloved wife sob her heart out, clinging to her lifeless husband's body, howling her heart out, while their son all knelt vigil and held a silent vigil together. He turned and found himself face to face with his beloved daughter, who was smiling at him with tears in her eyes. I'm going to miss you, Daddy, she said softly, wrapping her, his arms around her. Ah, oh, little hen, don't you cry now. You can call me any time you need to see me, or need to tell me to go and clean your room. I'll always be watching over you to make sure you do. You know that, he said, and she laughed as she squeezed him. I love you, Daddy, so, so much, 
she cried. And I love you too, little hen, more than you'll ever know, even with that gift of yours, he replied. That's when Pyre appeared and very gently took him from his daughter's grasp. Please tell me she's earned her way to my side. If not, tell me now, because if she's going into the pit, then so am I. I won't spend an eternity without her at my side, Monty said, and Pyre smiled. Stubborn as ever, I see Montgomery. Yes, she's earned her place. When her time comes, she'll, she'll be where she belongs, at your side, she said. And he nodded, and with one last smile and a wave to his daughter, and now to Jack as well, who stood there at his side, the pair left. Monty was buried with full military honours, and his sons were his pole-bearers. All were dressed in perfect number one uniforms. They also did the 21-gun salute with actual rifles, because plasma cannons just weren't the same, really. And when her time did finally come, Yelan found herself walking alone in a forest that seemed endless, and for a moment she'd feared she'd gotten lost, and that was until someone took up her hand, and she looked down to find Monty standing at her side. Come on, you big Jessie. Six hundred years is a long time for a man to wait without his wife, you know. Come here and give me a kiss, you big lug, he said, and Yolan lanked him off his feet and into her arms, and nearly kissed him into the next life, before she put him back down and took her he took her big hand and led him to a small little cabin. It looked identical to their home, just after they remodelled it. Good place to spend eternity, eh? He said, and she smiled down at him. The only place I need to be is right here at your side, my woman, exactly where I belong, where I've always belonged, she said. That was chapter five of the Chronicles of Clan Mason. And if you made it that far, I've got to congratulate you, because that was a hell of a read. And, uh, yeah, that's why it took so long for me to record. We are talking a couple of hours there, but I do hope you enjoyed it. And, as always, there's no questions to answer, so I'll just hope that you'll join me next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.